Football Pod on OTB Sports. It's unreal. Evening getting longer. Football National League is back. Good times. Look at this. The positivity train. Go back, Jimmy. The Football Pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM. With Gillette. Put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. Alright, half past seven this Monday morning and lots for us to get our teeth stuck into. A massive weekend for Leona Maguire, a massive weekend for Irish racing as Honeysuckle lives up to all the hype in front of the crowds properly. Um, uh, the dubs, what's going on? How how excited are the Kerry people? The full crowds there, full crowds in Armagh, is Armagh and Tyrone are back? This is mad. Well, I mean, we, we are back in, in so many different uh, senses of the word. Like, I mean, I'm, I, I, yesterday just seeing... Now, it wasn't the Orange Armagh jersey, but it was a nicer version of the Orange Armagh jersey being wrestled to the ground and wrestling back with all those Jerome players. which was just a beautiful side. It was like 2005 all over again. The boom is back. We are back. Life is normal once again. You'll be delighted that um, Armagh and Toronto are going to knock lumps out of each other before they get to Croke Park. Now, the carry are the best team in the country again. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean... Are Armagh not the best team in the country right now? It's Armagh or Kerry, don't right? Tell me, don't tell me. Don't tell me. You're going to make Armagh. Armagh going to leap twelve places in a week. Who came? Who had the stronger opposition? Do you think of the weekend? Uh, well, James, I don't know who thought that Tyrone were going to uh, get relegated. He didn't say that about the Dubs. So I'm just going by him. Your, your lads are telling us that um, Tyrone are just back. They're, the league is the league for Tyrone this year as, as All Ireland champions. Um, but the Dubs, on the other hand. Is this full-blown crisis? Well, it depends in what context you're looking at the season. If you're expecting Dublin to win in All-Ireland, then of course it's crisis. But I don't think anybody's expecting them to win in All-Ireland. I think people expect them to be a contender. Now, is the performance on the fir- in the first half of Saturday a team of contenders? Absolutely not. But You're not talking Kerry down after the weekend, are you? That's not your natural imp- in- I haven't said here. anything about Kerry. Kerry were amazing at the weekend. Okay, okay. <laughs> Like Kerry were absolutely brilliant. The, the, the question was around the, uh, the, the the level of crisis in the Dublin camp, and I just think that that's completely coloured by your view of of how uh, favoured they would have been at the start of the year. And I think after last year, they'd come back to the pack anyway. So we know this. We know that, it, that anybody can beat anybody on a given day. Obviously, the magnitude of the lead that Kerry had struck up at halftime on Saturday was extraordinary, and that was down to Dublin being uh, bad as much as it was down to Kerry being good. But I, I'm not entirely sure if crisis is the right word for it. I just think that there is... Feels a bit like a crisis. It does. It does feel like one. But I think that, again, I think that you had to be realistic at the start of this year. And maybe, maybe we weren't realistic. Like, I tipped Dublin for the All-Irelands. And I've immediately changed my, my view of it after the first two games of, the, of the, the year. That actually you have to completely reconfigure how you're looking at Dublin right now. And it does take time. You've got to retrain your brain to, you know... Not expect, say, a 13-point comeback uh, at the weekend or, or not expect them to go and win every game in the league or, or be in contention to win every game in the league. They're now one of the rest of the Division 1 teams, which means that they can be vulnerable to getting a pasting. What's well, Mayo next? In Croker. What a, what a, the timing of that fixture couldn't be better. Yeah. It, it, and Mayo have really struggled in that fixture against Dublin in the league over the last couple of years, haven't they? So uh, this is it's obviously a revenge moment for, for Dublin after last year. It's going to be the same venue and all that. But, again, is our analysis in the build-up to this match going to be coloured by what Dublin have done in the past? This notion of, you know, Dublin always do take Mayo in the league. Well, it'll be interesting because perhaps uh, Desi Farrell did say that some players will be back uh, for the next game. The two weeks, they're going to enjoy the two-week break because it might give them an opportunity to get some more bodies back. We'll see. We'll see who's back. I definitely do think our man Kerry have got Dublin at a good time. 
Uh, I, I do think that they are the one team that will grow into this. And as we've seen now at this point, their bench is, is a real Achilles heel. It, they're starters. It's, it's the starters that come back that are going to really make the difference for them at the moment. Uh, I know we had full house for the New Zealand game at the Aviva in November but the city wasn't full of New Zealanders and so uh, the fact that there were Welsh people wandering around town all weekend uh, the fact that there were crowds at Leopardstown as we said crowds everywhere and, and it looked like Trilly on Saturday night was great The moment I knew I was back was uh, walking down the street in Trilly trying to get out of the rain afterwards and entering a pub and Grace was being sung and by in full voice by a lot of Dublin fans who had clearly left at like half time. They were all dry and had <laughs> clearly been on the pines for at least an hour at that point. Couldn't get a ticket because it was sold out, right? Or maybe that was it. And they had completely taken over the pubs, literally. They, the joke was really on the Kerry people because they couldn't manage to get inside the door of any pub in, in, in Chile and they had to stand outside in the rain as Dublin managed to, to, to sing their songs and uh, and take over. So, so that was the moment and I, I, I kind of thought that we were back and like I mean th- this is what's interesting is that there were there were trends that were developing before COVID that are now going to re-trend again and one of those things definitely was the fact that the Alliance League is like one of the, the greatest competitions in Irish sport it, it gives it gives. A, I know you're throwing your eyes to heaven saying it should be the main thing and I totally agree but it, like it, it is it, it's almost like appointment viewing at, at this point I think uh, like in a way that it wasn't 15 years ago even if Kerry and Dublin were the two best teams in the country and they were playing each other on a Saturday night in Tralee I don't think it says but we need to dilute this <laughs> and have a 1A and a 1B this yeah. is this is bad for everybody this is this is a bad thing Owen this mm-hmm. thing you really like that's very enjoyable that has energised the whole country is bad yeah. it's bad for you and yeah. you don't know you, you're, not, you're not educated <laughs> enough to know that this thing that you love, that you feel great about, that makes everybody think, wow, this is amazing. You're wrong. Yeah. You're wrong. You're, it's too good. <laughs> it's too good, Owen. Yeah. Don't get carried away for yourself. 7.36 this morning. We'd love to hear from you. Were you out and about at the weekend? Did you go and see a match? Uh, what did you make of everything? Uh, we're going to get to the performance rankings in a second. Here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock. Uh, Declan Maguire, Leona's dad, is going to join us at 10 past 8 to talk to us about a big breakthrough win. This is like every little mark along the way that you want Leona Maguire to do. She just keeps doing and blasting through it with incredible performances. And what an ambassador, the way that she spoke afterwards, her, her social media, all that kind of stuff. Just She's leaning into being one of the leaders of Irish sport at 27. Uh, Cyril Farrell is going to join us at 25 minutes past 8 to talk about the Galway hurling. We've got sports pages at 8.40. Anthony Moyle is going to talk to us about the weekend's football. Alan Quinlan about the weekend's rugby. The swashbuckling performance of Ireland absolutely annihilating Wales as we expected at 10 past 9 and uh, some Derek McGrath wisdom at half past 9 but at 7.37 a reminder OTBAM is brought to you by Gillette good morning start with Gillette put your best face forward with their new and improved razors who is in this week's performance rankings let's find out you know that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance probably should have won the game based on the second half performance is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup maybe not OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head that performance is just lacked that intensity Okay, the way this works is we give away a Gillette starter pack for anybody who wants to get involved in the conversation. Somebody's in red, somebody's in amber, somebody's in green. You tell us what you want. All entries are allowed. I must say, the level of smugness coming out of you this morning is disappointingly lacking. Uh, You start with the red in the performance rankings. I should be more smug. You should be more smug. What's going to be in red in the performance rankings? Spoiler alert. It's going to be Wales rugby. Like I mean, it is the only place to start when it comes to the bad this morning. Like... I may just move my microphone over to you at this point so that you have the floor. Oh, no, like, I what just, do you want to say? I feel, I feel sympathy for 
for I, look this was this was we should have done this to Wales last season right this was what what should have happened last year but um, we're a little bit we were we weren't I don't know would the, would the red card have changed things if Amani didn't get sent off I mean we came back from that stage and, and led afterwards so I don't know but um, like I, the other thing is we probably should have put 50 on them is there an element there I mean, maybe if the weather's a bit better we put 50 on them what about your level of satisfaction after seeing Ireland beat Wales honestly like uh, really hope that we continue to play well and that there's proper strength and depth because when the injuries happen what's going to happen in a World Cup quarterfinal like it's terrible but everything has become about this uh, how do we beat New Zealand or France or both mm. and it's interesting just the lack of Wales in your commentary there like there are people tuning in from all over Wales this morning hoping for you to just twist the knife a little bit you know that sort of thing where you just want to be punched when you're down just that that feeling just to you know make they're, this they're, they're this punishment yeah they're, that's they get their that's their kink like i mean and 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 that would be just 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 give it to them when they're down you know that's that's all they want this morning and you're just uh, you're well, not I feel, it to I feel them. sympathy okay i, I feel sorrow mm-hmm. i really wish that uh, margaret thatcher hadn't ruined the school system you know all that kind of stuff i mean uh, they looked a shambles all right like bad, yeah. I, and i i don't think it's fair to judge them with the level of injuries that they have but then again here's the thing like all the players who are injured will come back at some point and the majority of them will be available for them in the big tournament next year and so they have a load of players now who have experience who are young who've been through this we have a lot of players who have the experience of winning the year out it's like this is our grand slam year right hmm. I'm not sure did you see the video that did the rounds on first take the morning after the Dallas Cowboys got knocked out in this year's NFL Stephen A. Smith laughing at Cowboys fans like we should have done the exact same thing with you and, and well chance this morning but it doesn't feel like you would have been up for that had we actually come to the table well I mean if you'd, uh, if you'd sold it to me right, right probably it's, not, it's not, not too late you know I mean we should just have read the, the angry responses to our stuff from the last couple of years I mean it's, it's not too late to go into their Wells Online article from last week and, and read the responses there was the definitely responses. some people on Wells Online going you know what I'm a little bit concerned this might be true well that is the thing actually there was I wasn't sure if we were being yared or if there was actually a real level of concern I guess you can't really argue with the fact that their injury list was was full to the brim with Lions let alone uh, seasoned internationals so it was always going to impact them a little bit there was obviously deeper rooted issues in Welsh rugby that I guess you and myself had touched on last year as well that we we kind of seen that there was maybe a lack of light at the end of the tunnel and that then kind of rears its head in a, in a lack of depth and a lack of replacements when those lines do end up getting injured Yeah they don't have the strength and depth they need the identity of the provinces that they are the provincial teams the franchises that they have has been completely diluted you know, it's interesting. You kind of need to be careful about that, right? Yeah, like, and I, I guess there is this sort of intangible that we kind of point towards with with Wales. That you know, they they would always be dangerous regardless of the position that they were in, and like, I guess that can only get you so far. Um, I agree with the second point that you made there about Ireland possibly putting up more against them because Wales were very very bad, as in like it was historically bad. It felt from a, from a Welsh perspective. Chances are they'll get it right and just, and and they'll go deep into the 2023 Rugby World Cup. But as of last Saturday, they were a very poor side that Ireland came up against. Yeah, and, and then, the scoreline should have been greater for for Ireland. And like, I, I do think that that maybe is not something that Andy Farrell is going to be too disappointed about when he's trying to control the narrative ahead of Saturday. Yes, Antoine Dupont has come out, come out in the last 24 hours and said Ireland are favourites. 
for the Six Nations this I, year. I think he said that at the pre-tournament. Remember at the when we were doing our pre-tournament? Yeah. I think he said that at the press conference, and that they're only putting it out now, kind of type thing. So, um, so that's his that's his line. That's the talking point. The talking point is Ireland are the favourites. But hang on a second, you just put in you're the World Player of the Year, and also you beat the All Blacks in one of the greatest games we've ever seen. Mm. Like. France are favourites there's no getting away from that yeah. and Andy Farrell did his best to put that ball back in their court as well but I, I, I think that like, I think that it was pretty clear for everybody to see that Ireland could and possibly should have put up a greater score and I, and I think that that's it's just a lovely position for Ireland to be in where they've got a bonus point win uh, against one of their rivals and there was still plenty to work on and there, there, there was still this kind of realisation and maybe this is a historic uh, historical context of this as well this realisation that that bad days could be around the corner again so um, I guess maybe that informs maybe why you should be enjoying something like Saturday a little bit more but at the same time it kind of sounds a note of caution about maybe Ireland not being as clinical as they'll need to be in the games against France and against England because let's face it England will probably be a better side come the end of this year Six Nations than they were on Saturday Yeah or or England are using this as again the same thing it's like how are we going to find out about these players put them in a crisis situation it's a crisis now let's see how they respond like this is the year where England are traditionally rubbish. Yeah. And then they reach a World Cup semi-final or final. And they don't, like, they tend to, like, not help themselves at, like, at times like this. I mean, like, taking off Marcus Smith in hindsight was a, was a bad call by Eddie Jones, I think it's fair to say. He's getting like, slaughtered for it in the, in the English papers today, yeah. Yeah, the Harlequins coach has come out calling it a premeditated move. Yeah, he said, he said the word premeditated, like, three times in eight seconds. So it was like, I'm going to say this and I'm going to make sure you all get it. And then it becomes the headlines, too. I guess premeditated in a coaching sense is is not the word you want to hear. I presume when you're doing the coaching courses and it's like in-game management, do not premeditate is, is probably probably the last thing you want to hear. I mean, there's certainly scenario planning, but yeah. whether or not it's like, no matter what happens, if we're 50 points up or 50 points down, or if it's a really balanced game, he's playing excellently, I'm still going to whip him off. Mm. Didn't work anyway. No, and I guess Scotland have done England in, in, in back-to-back years at this point, but... Like yeah, I, I do think that it'll be much better as this thing rages on and that'll be because they've taken a couple of risks early in th- this year's Six Nations but if we bring that back to Ireland then I mean if there was and I know Andy Farrell denied it was a risk before the game but, but I definitely thought it was a tad risky throwing Mac Hansen straight into things at the weekend and it paid off handsomely and pretty good yeah deserving of his man of the match award just kind of like if there was no numbers in the backs of the players you'd be like okay who's this new midfielder well I would have said Andrew Conway was the man of the match to be honest yeah or well uh, yeah I, I I mean I thought that that first finish was absolutely sensational Pass, yeah. uh, Hanson was look really good he, he totally deserved it or or you could have given man of the match to one of the front rows like um, Porter I thought the rip that Porter does was kind of like a, an NFL move mm. that they scored was that Conway's try off is that where that try came from? Um, I thought certainly in open play, Andrew Porter is leaning into being world class. You're like, okay, this is good. It's yeah. a good development. Like, I mean, it, it could end up being like stuff that doesn't materialise or doesn't last for the foreseeable future. But certainly on this show, you've had people calling Tyke Furlong the best player in the world. And I think Fiona Hayes was yesterday saying that Andrew Porter is the best um, loose head in the, in the world so like I mean you, th- that is the conversation that is happening ar- around these two players not like us to get carried away as a nation but um, yeah <laughs> that, that's what I mean it may, it may not be like a, France are favourites for that game by the way right and that's not that's not a surprise that's, that's not a surprise there. like I mean that's that's right isn't it yes it is France at home should be favourites 
Uh, France are a better team than us at the moment. We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, will we move on? Yeah, go. Um, Brendan Rogers in the red as well. This morning, they lost 4 once Nottingham Forest yesterday. Played a relatively strong team. Leicester-Nottingham rivalry, obviously, is something that's relatively fierce. You had uh, Forest Thump, as uh, depicted on the back of the mayor and the star this morning. A fan running on to the pitch, punching a Nottingham Forest player, getting a lifetime ban from Leicester City. Also, England fans-esque behaviour from Leicester fans in Nottingham. Forest Thump there. It works, it works both ways, because Forest thumped Leicester and the fan thumped a Forest player. So you see that it's like that's tab of the morning. Oh, it's one hundred. That's the type of thing. The guy sitting back smoking a cigar, going, I'm, "My work here tonight is done. I'm not doing any more sub editing. I got far some lads. It's, it's the tab of the month, really. And uh, yeah, you, you had uh, like garden furniture being uh, being used as projectiles in a war between the the fans before the game as well. Something that looked like a Costa coffee was being filmed from within as um, men in hoods grabbed steel chairs and threw them at the windows. Um, which was kind of reminiscent of Marseille in 2016 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, or, or was it Man United Le- Leeds last year? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that is something that definitely happened. But uh, on the pitch then, Leicester City were, were bad, very, very bad. They had more possession because they didn't create anything. Nottingham Forest created more chances, were more incisive. Brendan Rodgers apologised afterwards. Uh, you come, come into a derby game looking to win the game and he apologised for the, the lack of authority, aggression, the strong mentality, questioned the hunger in his team. That's, he's seen some worrying signs now. And obviously they play Liverpool on Thursday. And, I mean, can a manager's stock fall and disappear so quickly, just like that? Or, or I thought you have enough credit in the bank from what he did over the last couple of seasons. Not to get the man, you're not a job or to be talked about any of those jobs at the moment. He, he, was, he was right there for one of those jobs and then it disappeared. A puff of smoke. I would say that that puff of smoke probably came through when the, they go through his Wikipedia and realise that he is a former Liverpool manager. And given what happened to Rafa Benitez at Everton, I would say that position is just hardened at Manchester United, where they're like, this can actually turn sour pretty quickly. Yeah. It, the, the question I would have around uh, Brendan Rodgers now is, will he regret snubbing Le- or Newcastle United earlier in the season? Oh, is, yeah. is, is there a world where in 12 yeah. months' time, Newcastle are ahead of Leicester City in the Premier League? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, with the money they have, absolutely. You would, you would. Maybe it doesn't happen straight away. Maybe they've got the wrong manager. But it's not. I mean, it's certainly on the table, right? Mm. Yeah. I mean, they're they're tenth at the moment. Yeah. So it's been it's been pretty poor, and obviously, I mean, Vardy wasn't around yesterday for them. Like, it feels like we've had this conversation a lot around Jamie Vardy, and he keeps coming back and playing well, but. He is 35 at the moment. Like there, there will come a time when uh, Ian Acho is going to have to be the guy, and Pat Sindaker is going to have to be the guy who, who scored that level of goals to maintain that that um, that Leicester status as as a team that could, at their best, be challenging for Champions League places. And is that going to happen at, at some point over the next little while? I'm not. I'm not convinced. For anybody who didn't see the game, so uh, Harvey Barnes, James Madison, Adam Luckman, Wilfred Ndidi, Yuri Tielemans, Kelechi Iheanacho all started. Yeah. Obviously, they have their centre back troubles at the moment, but Sionchu is back. They've got no Johnny Evans at the moment. Like it's, I, I think that their uh, bill of health isn't one of the things that you can point towards and say that's that's a factor in them losing that game yesterday. I, in fairness, I don't think Rogers pointed to that either. It's just been part of the reporting around the game. It's a it's a reason why they're intent in the Premier League. It's not the reason why they lost four one to Nottingham Forest yesterday. It was a bad day, and I and I think that Rogers has got he's got a tricky uh, position to manage at the moment. Like we've seen Leicester City. 
again, this was, I guess, a previous time, but they have been ruthless in the past with their managers, obviously with Ranieri getting sacked the season after he brought them uh, to the greatest story in, in the history of the Premier League. Uh, so I'm, I'm not for one second suggesting that anything like that's going to happen to Rodgers anytime soon because he seems to have a phenomenal relationship with the ownership of that club and he will have a lot of credit in the bank from snubbing Newcastle earlier in the in the season. But things can ter- change very, very quickly in football and it does feel that the, the stock of Rodgers has unfortunately dipped over the last little while because I think if you looked at it in football and football-only terms, he would have been a, a good Manchester United manager. I accept that a former Liverpool boss is probably not going to fit the bill at the club. Uh, if we move on then to the Amber this morning, uh, we've got GA officiating in here. I put this in Amber. I think a lot of people maybe think the, re- the refereeing was was shocking over the course of the weekend. We'll get to our Matt Tyrone in a moment but of course there was uh, a very bad decision made in the Kerry Dublin game on Saturday night where Niall Scully just is, is sent off for mistaken identity with a black card who's been for mistaken identity was the goal legit should it have stood I think there's an argument we made that it possibly could have I think that uh, like so just explain exactly what happened give the, give us the sequence of events like okay so I can't I can't remember which Kerry player gets fouled to be honest but there was like a it feels like it looks as if he's dragged to the ground right in front of uh, the goals and uh, the ball is played out to the wing and uh, it's chipped in Shane Murphy seems to lose uh, sight of the ball hops off his head and into the back of the net it would have been an own goal and then the goal is given the green flag is waved the ref chats to the umpires and then after a period of consultation he deems that the a felling of the Kerry player in front of the goal would result in a black card gives it to the wrong man gives it to Niall Scully instead but on top of that he also rules out the goal now, I do think that there is um, a loophole in the rule book where it says that after consultation with your linesman or with, with your umpires that you can bring the play back and that the, the, the score shouldn't be given so there is a legitimate rule for that but I, I, like, I didn't see a clear enough picture of the foul but it did feel at the time when it was happening it was like this goal is going to stand it was just kind of a home crowd thing where it was like oh that's a disgrace ref and all that so I don't know I think Dublin could feel a little bit aggrieved well I mean if there's a foul in the build up there's a foul in the build up yeah I'm not yeah um, I'm not entirely convinced though like, if, if, if Dean Rock's shot had been kicked wide would it have been a goal kick a kick out or would it have been uh, a free for the foul it should have been a free for the foul because the foul happened yeah, but I think that if the ball had gone wide, I think that it would have been a goal kick. Well, then that's bad. That's yeah, a mistake. I, I do think it was reactionary to the fact that the ball hit the back of the net. Anyway, it's still like getting bogged down in, in uh, chats around referees. I, th- I thought that like in the Tip Leash game, there was a case of a mistaken identity in the hurling and they managed to fix that. The referee realised what had been done wrong and, and they managed to change the identity of the player who'd been uh, shown the line. And then in uh, Waterford Dublin, I think we had a game that illustrated the best of the black card in hurling where you had the Dublin keeper get sent off for 10 minutes after a cynical foul and a penalty that was ultimately scored. If you're the Dublin goalkeeper, you're thinking to yourself, I have to do this. And if you're the water for an attacker, you're like, okay, that's my reward for that foul. It, it kind of is the perfect balance and, and, and it's not encouraging any cynicism, but you realise what you're going to do if you make the cynical foul. There's also the situation where they, they bring on Nolan to come into to goals, so you're essentially using two substitutes in that moment to take off one of your players and then bring back your keeper back on when when, you're, when the Simbin is over. Um, so or, or, or you just leave the keeper on, as, as the case may be. But So that, that's another little interesting quirk in it. But that, that's, that's just kind of the, 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 the subplots 
of the officiating weekend. The big thing, obviously, was yesterday in, in the athletic grounds. Uh, David Goff sending off five players in one fell swoop in uh, in a, a remarkable uh, moment of refereeing. It's it's hard to know. No, the, the thing is, by the letter of the law, it seemed that it, were, it was the wrong decisions, wasn't it? Because I didn't see any strikes. I didn't see any. Uh, I didn't see a whole. I didn't see five red card offences. Wow! In, in the moment, yes, it was unsightly. And Are was you allowed to wrestle people? Like you're not allowed, but you're not sent off for it. But if there's no, if it's done with extreme malice, mm. like. What, what, how do you define extreme malice? Like uh, dangerous violence. play, violent yeah. conduct. What's what's the GA equivalent of violent conduct? Yeah, like there was. Yeah, it, it definitely. Like I mean, it was quite fitting because all these Armagh players, in particular at the moment, looked like UFC middleweights, and it, it did feel that, that this is what we were seeing on the, the side of the pitch yesterday. Uh, it, there was there was something kind of fitting about it all, but I did, did feel that if he sent four off on both sides, would that have been more more correct? <laughs> No, it's nothing to do with uh, the unfairness like, of it all. The unfairness of it all. Like I mean, he, he saw what he saw, and clearly it, it, there, there was obviously some takedowns that involved like a, a neck roll uh, or, or something like that, which is really dangerous play. There's no getting away from that. So that's that's obviously what I what I think he saw. But when I watched the footage back, it did feel as if there was a lot of kind of like headlocks on the ground and a lot of kind of like pulling to the ground. None of which would constitute red card offences. Maybe we should make them red card offences. Uh, there's a Twitter account, uh, unofficial GA. Some firmly believe headlock and chokeholds are part of the game. It'll be a sad day when it goes wrong, but some are okay with that too. Um, there is there is definitely an acceptance that you're allowed to get somebody in a chokehold. That yeah. that's fine. Yeah, you can you can you can grab somebody by the neck and yank it around like. Um, are people unaware that the neck is not a very secure thing? It's not like your arm, where, and if you break it, it doesn't doesn't really fix. Is it? Is it? But it seems to be grand. Like it, it literally it's is. A, I've never seen some. The manly thing to do is to wrestle somebody by the neck. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't seen too many people sent off for it. In a sense, David Goff took the law into his own hands yesterday, and the outcome may be a positive one. That if players are thinking to themselves, well, there's a serious chance of me being red carded for this. What are they going to do? They're going to stop doing it. So sure, what will happen is the red cards will all be rescinded, and, and we'll go back to being able to do whatever you want. But then, a, then in a brawl like this will happen. Well, no, I was going to say the brawl like this will happen earlier in the game. They tend to break out later in the game. You obviously have the situation of players pulling their opposite man down and getting him into a headlock late in the game to delay the play, and you're going to take the red card at that point potentially. And what about the, the the mini brawl in the wasn't uh, with more handbags or was there something similar in the Dublin Kerry? Um, I so I need to kind of watch that full thing back. It felt like it wasn't overly significant, but, but, but like I mean, it, I I would maybe guess that Kerry could have started that one. I did feel that there was something about Kerry on Saturday night where they were willing to start a fight, and it was interesting because I think like that John Fogarty piece in the Examiner last week about Kerry not being not having enough badness to win in All Ireland. I think was definitely true. I'm not sure were they reading the piece have have they been working on it, but definitely at the start of the the second half, uh, Dan Donahue, the the new player they've got in this year who's been outstanding, uh, was marking Dean Rock, and he goes straight over to Dean Rock before the whistle is blown and just starts shoving him, just take, takes the fight to him straight away. Dean Rock is bigger than him, stronger than him, shoves him back, and he sends him ten yards backwards. But Dan Donahue keeps shoving him, keeps annoying him, keeps pestering him. The sort of stuff that if Armara Tyrone were doing to your team, you'd be really annoyed with the Armara Tyrone player doing that. Again, it's a tiny sample size. But, but hopefully the, but that's... The, the crowd and Trudy were like, yeah, you're sucking him. There was nothing. It was just kind of in the corner that I was kind of watching it. I was like, I mean, fair play to you, Dan Donahue. You're, you're half a size and you're doing that. I'm, so I'm, the violence is great when it's your team perpetrating yeah. it. Everybody else can get a red card, please. 
Uh, somebody slid into our DMs to say, safe to say the GAA are in the red tomorrow. The cash cow of Dublin filling Croker looks less and less likely this year. And then the scenes at the Toronto match. Dubs in the red, obviously, too. Green for Ireland Rugby and Leona Maguire. Orange for the FA Cup. Um, I think that the Dublin supporters are more likely to go to more Dublin matches because there's a chance they're going to get beaten. You reckon? I think, yeah, I do. I, I, like, if you think back when they were getting 80,000 at the Leinster yeah. final, yeah, true. it was because they thought that there was a chance they were going to be beaten. It wasn't because they were um, certain of victory. So we'll see. Yeah, that's, that's uh, good. Yeah, that, that maybe is, the Dubs fans are completely fair weather, but I, I actually expect there to be a much bigger crowd at the Mayo game than there would have been. Maybe they do. I think you're underestimating how much they hate Mayo. Like uh, for a team that have beaten. Well, twenty two thousand is is what you would expect, right? Because that's kind of it's hard between eighteen and twenty two thousand is the yeah. official. So I think it's, I think it's going to be more. Yeah, yeah. No, people it, are going to be like, oh, let's go and see what happens. And there's Fairweather fans in every county as well. Like I mean, once teams are winning six in a row, there's obviously going to be a whole cohort of people who want to hop in the bandwagon. Once you get to the quarterfinals and semifinals, it's only natural. And those people will still be there this year if they get that far. Um, we should move on to well, like I mean, sorry, just to, to mention on that, like I mean, Tyrone Armagh being back as a rivalry is one of the great stories of the last little while football needs it it'll be like 2005 all over again potentially this year and it will be an absolute travesty if we don't get Tyrone Armagh in the championship at some point this year uh, there's a strong argument to be made that, that, that they are the two best teams in Ulster so it should happen but Donegal and Monaghan and Derry will all have uh, something to say about that we've got to fly through these because we're really late but Shane says David Goff's performance deserves a mention in the rankings yeah but where do you put him do you put him in green or do you put him in red I think it depends on what you think is the right thing to do good morning lads imagine now if the Ireland was tied to the league positions and bottom two wouldn't qualify says Shifty lad the championship would be on baby imagine imagine every single match from this point forward would be like an absolute it would be dynamite but no we can't have it David Goff, David Goff should be in both red and green. Red because it was a mad decision, but also green because it was a mad decision, says Brian Dillon. Lads, the Irish team had less caps than the Welsh, so while they had injuries, ours was younger, which is just as exciting. Although, agree, we do need to develop some areas, such as half-back depth, says Matthew Rye. And Eddie Jones deserves to be in the red. Marcus Smith, with a Johnny Sexton-esque performance, hauled off when England needed him most. That's the thing. Like, do you think maybe, do you think maybe somewhere deep in the dark recesses of Eddie Jones' mind, he's like, nah, this is too good. It's too soon. It's too soon. Putting, putting down too much tape. Exactly. We're a year. You're a year too early, Marcus. Uh, uh, we, we, can, we know what you can do, George Ford. Off you go. Go on. Go on. Slaps him on the arse and it's like, oh, we lost. Did we lose to Scotland? Second time in a row since the first time this happens in the eighties. This is a disaster. Mm. Yeah. I get, get your money on England for the 2023 Six Nations and to make a 2023 World Cup final. I think. If we move on to the green this morning, a couple of things here. Firstly, just to quickly mention Sadio Mane, who has to go into the green this morning. Uh, won the African Africa Cup of Nations for Senegal last night. Scores a winning penalty, missed a penalty in normal time. And it was one of the worst finals in a major tournament you're ever likely to see. Egypt have completely shithoused their way through the entire tournament. And it was a win for football that they were beaten in the final. The ball was in play for 40 minutes and 26 seconds in normal time, which is uh, not very good. I had to put that into uh, a bit of context for you. Uh, they kind of uh, they left the pitch at the end as well before Senegal represented their medals just to truly fit out the bill of being villains and then to, to cap it all off as well. Um, Mo Salah doesn't even get the opportunity to take a penalty. Uh, leaves him as number five on the, the list, the same as Cristiano Ronaldo against Spain in Euro 2012 after Portugal had done a great job of nullifying Spain for 120 minutes. They leave their best player as taker number five. Now the thing is, Senegal also left their best player to taker number five and the story went totally in his favour where he emphatically 
uh, dispatched to the back of the net and it was a great penalty this time. Uh, the penalty he missed in normal time was interesting because Salah tells his goalkeeper which way to dive. He's obviously been watching Mane take penalties in Liverpool training and uh, like Judas kissing Jesus on the cheek tells his goalkeeper which way to go. Yeah, I, I would have put Honeysuckle in the green this week. This is the Daily Telegraph, right? So, you know, we, we know the Telegraph. Long-time supporter of Ireland generally in all things, everything, you know, like a big Irish. They love, they love Ireland, the Telegraph. Uh, t- two pages. One page is Leona Maguire and the other page is Honeysuckle and... Uh, Rachel Blackmore that's like a double page spread of Irish women's success um, pages 18 and 19 the sports section of the Daily Telegraph today so Leon Maguire is in 100% I mean uh, fitting that she won the drive on championship at the weekend the most Irish sounding name in any golf tournament um, and like I mean listening to, to Leona Maguire afterwards you, you don't overly get a sense of the magnitude of what she's just achieved when you listen to her and the tone of her voice after, after, like, I mean, she's clearly elated. She's clearly absolutely delighted when you look at her body language. But I just kind of heard it on the radio yesterday before actually watching some of her post-round interviews. And it is just that constant level-headedness that has been a big factor in getting her to this point, you suspect. The fact that, I would say, on the flip side of things and during her disappointing days, you wouldn't have been able to hear an overt level of disappointment in her voice either. And just that sort of... She even said it herself yesterday or, or on Saturday that her planning has been meticulous. Her career has been meticulously planned. You know, staying in the amateur ranks for quite some time to perfect certain areas of her game, getting into 2021 and having a stunning year where she obviously has that that 61 at the Evian Championship and then the Solheim Cup where there is this massive arrival of the Ona Maguire, I feel anyway, into the Irish public consciousness. That can do... I suspect strange things to, to the psyche where you're like wow what a year I'm going to go and enjoy Christmas and attack next year doesn't really enjoy Christmas she's out on Stephen's Day from what we're hearing uh, on, on the range and morning noon and night she, she is out there on on the practice greens bringing a level of work that her coach Shane O'Grady has compared to Patrick Harrington over the last little while and Patrick Harrington his big thing was I know I'm not as talented as as all the other players on, on tour or some of the other players on tour but I'm going to work my ass off and work harder than them and that's going to lead me to, to the promised land and that's exactly what Leona Maguire has done as well she's going to win a major at some point over the next little while a fantastic story that, that uh, she got her first win because she said herself that was the one thing that was missing from her 2021 Alright uh, we're going to talk more about Leona Maguire in just a moment but that is this week's performance rankings OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette OTB it's incredible to, to be the first Irish person and to show that it is possible for from a girl from a, a small little town in Ireland to, to be able to compete against the best players in the world and be able to win on the LPGA. All right, I'm delighted to say Declan Maguire is with us this morning. Declan, how are you getting on? Great, Tommy. Good morning uh, to you too. It, it's Jaron Owen here as well. Um, can I can I bring you back to um, after the Solheim Cup? We, we we chatted after that, and your level of excitement at that stage was huge, and the whole country's was as well. Owen's just made the point that that was kind of a, a coming out party, uh, just to that level where now people are going to be following every step of the way. There was just a natural kind of expectation that a win is going to come, but at the same time. The psychology behind that and the ability to maybe just rest on your laurels is something that most sports people are going to have to, to battle. <clears throat> Pardon me, it didn't seem like that was ever... There was no sense of that at any stage from Leona that she was going to rest on her laurels, that this was this was her time to kick on. No, definitely not. You know what I mean? Um, so you know the, the marathon runner there that would uh, record holder, his view is, you know, 
uh, if you cling to one branch, then you reach for the next one. And I think Leona has the same philosophy. It's, you know, she raised that hand at the end. It's, you know, it might be the, the first win, but Leona's already looking to, the, you know, to, to get another win behind that to back it up. Um, she's not going to rest on any laurels. Uh, she, she will celebrate. She'll enjoy herself. But uh, she wants now to, you know, to back that up and, and get back into you. When she gets home next week, She'll be back with Shane, back with Joe, uh, back with the whole team around in the Sports Institute, and she'll be looking to get to the next the next level, the next next branch of the tree. The other aspect, so there's there's two parts to that. One is just the the competitive drive and the ability then to deliver on the competitive drive and the ambition, and and it's all being perfectly managed. But the other side is the personality where she's clearly embracing the fact that she is a leader. She's she's conscious of the fact that. There are young girls all over Ireland and young boys all over Ireland watching somebody from small town in Ireland succeed. Even the, the tweet last night about the can see, can be. Like, that whole movement is something that she's been very happy to be part of, which we don't often see from, from sports people. They're not conscious of the fact that they're role models or they try and keep it at bay because they don't want the responsibility of it. She's definitely leaning into that. Yeah, no, she, she's comfortable with that because she knows herself, you know. Uh, she got a lot of help along the way. You know, back to the, I remember the time that Darren Clark put a lot of time into the Darren Clark Foundation and he brought them up on weekends, you know what I mean, Lisa and ourself, uh, Oren got to them as well, where they got up for a weekend, all good golfers, you know, anybody that maybe had won some tournaments or were doing well at, at junior golf, Darren brought them up for a weekend, they were treated like pros for the weekend, got the latest equipment and, uh, you know, putters, wedges, whatever, and I think Leona's led on to that. She's given, she hopes to be, you know, given something back and encourage, you know, because that's what it's all about is developing the game, encouraging other young golfers or young people to, to get an interest in sport and particularly girls because, you know, and especially in the teenage years, you know, it tends to maybe more girls t- tend to drop out, you know, whereas Leona's view is, you know, keep playing, you know, couldn't be doing anything better than to be out in a golf course or if you're into running, being out in the running track or ladies football or whatever it might be. And if she, anything she can do to, to help that, she will, she will do that. It's great that she's using her, her platform at the same time as being successful, that she can juggle these responsibilities. Because again, we keep hearing from the sports people, oh, look, I'm in my bubble. I don't really want to get involved. I don't want to talk about anything beyond the next game. But actually Leona's like, I've got an opportunity here. Get out, get out and play. Like dream big. That's it, and you know, it's a case of you know if you don't dream big, you're never going to get there. You know, um, you have a certain amount of talent. You know, as that Bill Belichick used to say, you know, talent sets the floor, character sets the ceiling. You know what I mean? And and Leona, you know, there's probably a lot more talented golfers have been around than Leona, but Leona, when she, you know, I think she lacks in talent. She'd make up in character because she will give it every last drop she has. You know to to achieve what she wants to achieve. And she, she is very driven. She's very focused. Uh, she need no stone unturned. She, she'll take it, the advice that's going, you know what I mean? And she's got a lot of good advice. Um, you know, she had a, but an hour phone call over the Christmas there, zoom call with Paul McGinley. And he's been a great mentor to her now over the last number of years since she turned pro, uh, as, as she was turning pro. And it's people like that, that has given to her. And likewise, she then, you know, there's no issue with giving back to, to other people and encouraging other people to, to, you know, to, you know, maybe someday, you know, match her and even be better than her. What is it 
about the message that someone like Paul McGinley gives to Leona last Christmas. Is is there a certain aspect that she worked on in between 2021 and 2022? It's, I think the biggest message, you know, that the Paul put across to her, you know, is there's no magic formula. It's, it's, it's simple things done well, you know, small, if you're making changes, small changes, don't change anything. Don't be too drastic with anything, you know, look for the small areas that you can improve, not for the massive changes where you're going to, you know, get the latest thing that's on, on, you know, the new coaching thing that's out there, you know, no stick with what you know and stick what you, you do well and, you know, improve your, improve your, strengths and, and look at your weaknesses and I'm not focused too much on weaknesses but you know improve every aspect of your game you know where you can get small changes and not be thinking that you're going to get massive changes like there's no point Leona thinking she's going to go out in the golf course and outdrive Nelly Corda you know today or tomorrow that's not going to happen so it's it's a slow process and you focus and I think that's what she's done and I think you maybe heard her there at the weekend talking about time she's put in there lately on, on wedges and that and it's paying off you know where she but like uh, Richard Bland there, you know, we were talking about that last weekend and how well he had done in that tournament. You know, he I think in the in the last nine holes, you know, he looked out of contention in, in that event that that um, he ended up in the playoff that Victor Hoblin won. And he had to get up and down three times for par, which he did. And then on the 17th, you know, where they were all sort of driving the 17th, he, he laid up, wedged it in, hold the body, and he did again the same, same on the 18th where he, he laid up and then went for his third shot and ended up boarding to go into the playoff. So it's it's playing to your strengths, really, and that's what, what Paul McGinley, you know, stressed to her. Play to your strengths, Leona. You know, know what you're good at and focus on that and then try to improve in, in small graduation as you go along. Uh, the other thing is that um, there's been pressure, I suspect, in in being so well known at the forefront of the women's game in Ireland. But every step of the way, she's been able to deliver. Does she feel that pressure? Does she get inspired by that pressure? Is does it not exist? It, what's that relationship like? Yeah, no, yeah. I think Leona, she's one of those characters that you know works on pressure. You know, I listened to Andy Farrell there at the weekend. You know, talking about yeah, he was saying you know they were asking him what he liked about the job. He said he loved the pressure of it. You know been in the the heat of the battle or whatever. I think Leona does that. I've always said that Leona's always at her best when she's in the mix on a Sunday or Saturday, whatever the last round is. If she if she is in the mix at that stage, you know what I mean? She whatever it is, she just seems to go into a different zone at that stage. And she she never backs off. She won't back off from anything. You know, I know on the maybe on the eighteenth the other evening she knew that she had nothing to gain, you know what I mean, by going for the, the green and two. So you know, and I'm sure Dermot had a big say in that as well, that he wouldn't let her go for the green. But had she needed to go for it in that situation, she would have gone for it. She wouldn't have backed off either. So that's, she She just, I think pressure, you know, for some people pressure, it's it's hard to manage pressure and uh, it probably ends up at the end of the day making the difference when, when you get into a tight competition, whether you can handle pressure or not. But I, I'd never fear from Leona, you know, in that situation, she... You know, it's like Solon Cup, you know, when she got Nelly Card and, and Jessica, she loved that. And in actual fact, I think I said that to you maybe the last time. Yeah. On the last day, she was hoping she was going to get Nelly Carter. You know what I mean? She wasn't looking for, you know, an easy match or anything like that. When she, when she's in that situation, she would want to play the best and she would want to match herself off the best. 
she's not going to say she's always going to beat the best, but she will always, I think from, we started playing, I remember when they started first, you know, they were going to America to play in the junior tournament. We entered the, the ladies stroke play event and there were only 12 at the time. And I, I'd say a lot of people wonder what the mentality was entering the Irish stroke play at 12 and, you know, why were we even there? But the sort of mentality was, look, that this is the best that's in Ireland at the moment. You, we're going to see what the best is. And then from there, we can work a plan. And I think that's what we've always tried to do is, is look at who's the best and then try and get to that, you know, match yourself against them. You know, and it's like it's like all the teams there in the last, you know, six years, you know, Kerry and, and the Mayos and that, you know, they've been looking up to Dublin and Dublin have been the best. And, you know, they might be going through a transition at the moment, but they have been there, you know, as an example to everybody to, you know, what to achieve. And that brings the levels up of everybody. And it's the same idea with Leona. Leona will, will work off the best and hopefully, uh, you know, one day get to that world number one place, you know, as a result. And does she change, do you find, when you actually, you know, you get to a point like the Solheim Cup and the response is so great. Like, it, it's absolutely sensational. It's historically good, the response. That, that point you're talking about, um, you know, when you're in the mix on a, a Saturday or Sunday, that Leona rises to the occasion every time you get the confidence of rising to the occasion does she become even better at that point because the the risk taking and the the aggressiveness is something that gets validated in a way yeah that's it I, I think you know it, it's a huge confidence thing to her you and the Solomon Cup probably gave her that really self-belief that she can compete with any of them but then she you know we talked to the, you know the other night after it you know, this one, she had to do it on her own. Uh, but I think when you do it once, you know, that that was my little bit of fear or whatever, I suppose, you know, from a parent point of view, is that, you know, lots of teams, lots of individuals get to a stage where you have a chance to win. And for one reason or another, you know, a bit of bad luck or maybe a wrong decision or whatever, you just don't get it across the line. And then if that sets in, you know, it can have, you know, sort of a lasting effect. And, you know, it's always there in the back of your mind. So I think the earlier you can overcome that hurdle, the better chance you have of going on then. And I think that's what, what the weekend will do to Leona. It's, you know, she knows herself, you know, it's only one tournament. It's early in the year. You know, she probably, even at this stage, you know, uh, Joe, the plans out her whole, you know, program for the year. Um wouldn't have been thinking she she would win this early. Wouldn't have been picking her up for this early. So hopefully there's a lot more to come as the year goes on. Declan, you mentioned that she is pretty pressure free when it comes to these white heat of of battle moments. What yeah. about yourself and and the family? Was it a pressure free moment for you watching the conclusion <laughs> on Saturday night? Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I'll be honest, lads. I don't. I'm not a great fan of watching when the honest man. <laughs> uh, I prefer Brida watches everything, and as I, you know, I'd be. Sort of maybe thinking, what could go wrong or what what mightn't happen? You know what I mean. And uh, I prefer to kind of either watch at the end or, or rewatch the whole thing afterwards and then chat to her about it. Then I'm, I'm I don't really en- enjoy the watching of it to be honest. Well, you're you're going to need some help with that, I suspect, because yeah. you've got like a long future ahead of you of watching Leona yeah. be in contention. So, so I don't know. Do you need a few sessions with a sports psychologist yourself? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, in sports psychology, in, in fairness, you know, 
you know, when I she had the chat with Caroline Corrid over the Christmas too, and and you know, Caroline, I think I told her, you know, look, I'm very impressed what you're doing, and I think you're you're in a good place, and you're in a place to win. So that reassurance from someone like Karen Corrid that has been up there with top teams, you know, them and top uh, athletes. I think that gave her an extra boost of confidence as well, knowing that, look, I don't need to do anything different. I just need to stick to what I believe, stick to what I'm doing, stick to my practice routines. And, and as you said yourself over Christmas, you know, I've never seen her work as hard as she did over Christmas this year. You know, when people were home and, you know, that's Leona, she, you know, she want, likes to be in her own bed and likes to be in her own, you know, surroundings or whatever. But, um, and everybody else probably was watching you know, Christmas movies and, you know, on good day or whatever, you know what I mean? And Leona was really focused this Christmas, probably the most I've ever seen her. At her herself and her sister have become a great team as well. I, you know, I know you guys obviously weren't out there, but like, it's great that there is a family member on the ground keeping an eyes and ears open and just making sure everything's okay. Yeah, no, Lisa's been terrific for, for Leona, you know what I mean? And and it's brilliant. It was a brilliant decision and modest to, to keep Lisa involved because, you know, when it comes to all the, the organising in the background, you know what I mean, making decisions on, on certain things, whatever, Lisa's there and Lisa's puts Leona's, you know, interests first, you know what I mean? It's it, to have somebody that was there that played at that level, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, as an amateur, Lisa probably was as good as it was around, you know, European individual champion, name and few, you know what I mean? She, Lisa, been there, sort of done it, now choosing a different route now, you know what I mean? But Lisa or Leona couldn't have better than Lisa in her bag. And um, that, and on top of that, Dermot Byrne, who came on the bag last year, uh, and that, you know, Lisa was a sort of, I'll be honest, a, yeah, made a call on that to Leona, you know what I mean? I advised her, you know what I mean? And then when Dermot became available, it was no brainer. And I think he has been a big, big plus too for, for Leona, you know, in terms of that, what you were mentioning earlier, that whole confidence to have somebody that, you know, as she said herself when she was talking to us afterwards, you know, when Altamara had those run of bodies at the beginning, you know, Dermot was ultra calm, you know, just stay patient, stay patient. Your chance is going to come, you know, keep waiting and, you know, terrific that it did. And, you know, I, I think that gives you that bit of confidence. Leona, Leona knows that, you know, if Dermot says something, you know, he's not just saying it for the sake of it or, you know, he knows what he's talking about and he's been there, he's done it, he, you know. And again, Paul McGinley, I think, had, a, had a, an influence too on, on Dermot coming on the bag and... and that's been a, a great plus as well. Ah, look, it's brilliant. I mean, it is it is sensational that um, you know the, the 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 markers of success have all been surpassed all the time. You know, Salam Cup, it's great to get on the team, but then you go and you dominate, and then it's like you can shoot low scores as good as anybody. You can go toe to toe, and it turns out inevitably she is going to be going toe to toe with Nelly Corda at some point, and there will be some major prizes on the line in the future as well. So she's going to get what she wants as well. That's the other thing is like all the thought processes, all the hard work, all the advice is all kind of coming together at the right time. It's incredibly exciting, Declan. Yes. No, I, it's at this age of the year, you know what I mean? With the restrictions lifted, you know, people, you know, have had a tough two years. You know, it's, it's funny, you know, yesterday I was down with my sister 
had a serious operation there just before Christmas and uh, down to visit her yesterday evening. And, you know, she, you know she's uh, having difficulties, you know, after it as well. So, and but it's amazing the lift that it gave, you know what I mean, to, to Kitty and the family, you know what I mean, to distract from, you know, you know, the health problems she's had or whatever. And um, it gives a lift to people, you know, when something like this happens. And no more than like, you know, it was a brilliant weekend, a sport, you know, starting Friday night with the 20s, watching them, you know what I mean? And the future Irish rugby is great. Then Saturday, the matches, you know, so the golf, you know, we've had, we're very, very lucky to have that, you know, when, especially in January, February, this time of the year when everything's dreary and the weather's not so good. And so it, it just gives everybody a lift and, and long may it continue. Exactly. Leona brought a little bit of Florida into our lives on Saturday evening, which, yeah. you know, we're, we're very grateful for. Congratulations yeah. to everybody and, and thanks a million for joining us again, Declan. No, thank, thank you and thanks for all the support. It's uh, Declan McGuire there. You're going to hear from Leona on Golf Weekly this week. She's talking to the lads tonight. Uh, if you want to listen to that, get over to otbsports.com uh, and, uh, or Golf Weekly on Patreon and you'll be able to hear that full interview with um, the newly minted first ever Irish winner on the LPGA. It's an incredible story. Ah, it is and it is one that I'd love to get sort of the, the inside track on even like currently over the next little while it's really interesting that she's coming home for a while going to the Sports Institute for a while like this career has almost been created in a lab and it continues to go in that direction well, the, the planning around everything and, and, and what the next step is going to be is very very interesting Paul Fitzpatrick put her on the uh, Mount Rushmore for Cavan and uh, had to argue with people on, on Twitter about it uh, it turns out he was correct hopefully he'll write the book that gives you the inside yeah. track and all the details of it um, although we, we I mean we've got a fair degree of insight there to, to say the least like I, I hadn't realised that Caroline Curd had been involved in the Leon Maguire story in the not too distant past Paul McGinley's influence had been mentioned um, last year as well in the, the aftermath of the Solheim Cup but he consistently seems to have an interest in Leona Maguire's trajectory he'd obviously noticed the path that she was on some time ago and realised that she was destined for the very top and I mean it's it, it would take someone like Paul McGinley to, to properly understand what that that, um, that winner's mentality actually is and that is clearly the, the one of the most important things that's taken to her to where she is at the moment Yeah and, and just to reiterate I, I don't think that we should take for granted the fact that she's willing to talk about being a role model because so many sports people are insistent that oh I'm just a business person this is just my job I have no connection with that stuff I, I'm not paying any attention to that that's for other people to decide she's like no can't see can't be can't see can be I'm part of this movement and it's a wellspring of uh, very important conversation that we're having around female participation and dropout rates and all that kind of stuff she's like I'm, I'm going to talk about that I'm going to use my platform for the benefit of the, the society that I've come from many of uh, our other professional sports people are footballers and are golfers and uh, they could learn and take a little leaf out of Leona Maguire's book I would say OTBAM is brought to you by Gillette good morning start with Gillette put your best face forward with our new and improved razors it's 25 minutes past 8 if you want to get in touch with us we'd love to hear from you you can um WhatsApp the show 0879180180 or of course you can always uh, get us on uh, Twitter at Off The Ball AM now plenty of GA coming up next on OTB AM as we focus on the inter-county action we also had the intermediate and junior club hurling and football finals at the weekend Nace B. Clamoyley 16 points to 111 Moon Coyne uh, 22 points Bally Giblin 118 Kilmina of Mayo 11 points Guinea Guilla of Kerry 1-6 
and Streelstown Brian Oaks from Derry beat Trim 314-25 Dahi Boland was in Croke Park for us on Sunday for the football finals here he is talking to Streelstown manager Hugh McGrath on who the club is named after and why they've retired the number 5 jersey For anyone that doesn't know that they, were, they, they may have been looking at the match programme there today even on, on the TV screens noticing there was a certain number not there on the club can you just give us the reasons behind that and again regards to even the club name yeah well look uh, like a years ago a young guy that meant a huge deal to us who, who would have been captain of that team today no doubt whatsoever Brian O'McKeever passed away um, you you wonder about how you can pay tribute to somebody like that who's such a huge character around your club at even a young age of 17 for us it was a no brainer it was just yep we, we are very happy to that name to our club. Uh, he wore the number five. He wore it with absolute pride. Um, we didn't think anyone could fill that jersey in the same way that he did. So that jersey was retired. Um, Stays down Brian Oaks. Uh, Brian played with an absolute appetite for football. Just had just a tenacity that you just couldn't match. Um, this this team have paid him a huge tribute today with not only the way that they played today but the way he played to get here. Um, you go down to 14 men and, and that spurt just came through the spurt of Brian Oaks. Superb, and, and we're very happy for his family that they're still part of, of our group. Um, I can tell you now that it'll be very proud people tonight, and, and I hope they've enjoyed this run this year. Hugh McGrath there speaking to Di Boland in the aftermath of the game yesterday. Uh, very emotional, and uh, obviously, uh, those club matches again, some incredible stories emerge from them uh, every season. So, you know, it's great that they got the opportunity to play those games in Croke Park. and. Um, you know, maybe we get to a point where the, the stories get the full excavation that they need. Uh, 28 minutes past eight this morning here on OTBM. A reminder, it's brought to you by Gillette. Good morning. Start with Gillette. Put your best face forward with the new and improved razors. Uh, we've got Cyril Farrell with us this morning. Cyril, good morning to you. How are you? Morning. How are things? Yeah, good. Well, we start with Galway. Um, obviously, it's very early, but uh, encouraging signs. Plenty of goals scored anyway. Yeah, would you believe uh, goals scored and goals missed? Would you believe like? But uh, Conor Wheen was on was on real form yesterday, showing he's a top class player. Like, and he tremendous off the defence. Like, you know, a lot of what he scored, we laid off, made a lot of great scores. He was on top all showing. Uh, it was good to see the likes of Dahi Burke back full back again, and Gareth McInerney kind of got a wonderful goal, travel from half back, lined the whole way up, and everyone thought he was going to pass. And I said to me, say, oh, definitely defence the two, and it, it, it seemed to open up like like an ocean. And he kept going and just kind of, you know, a lovely little flick into the net. But overall, God will be happy. Now, look, awfully aren't at that level yet. To be fair, they've skipped. You know, they kind of skipped the league here, so like, uh, kind of, a, they're they're playing above what they, what they should be playing. As, you know, and they're probably going to get a lot of beatings on the way. So it's important that they kind of keep their shape and keep positive. Because it's hard enough to take these beatings every weekend. Uh, Grohl McNerney doesn't usually get on the score sheet, Cyril. No, no, no. He got a goal in the point actually, and it's very funny. You know, the young lads at the match every time he got the ball after that were saying, "Go on your own, go on your own." They wanted more excitement, but you were the one that. The halfbacks were attacking, like they were well on top. Joseph Cody was midfield again with a new guy, uh, Ronan, Ronan uh, Glennon with, with him. They, they played quite well, you know. They'll be happy enough, but like they'll, they'll find out better where they are next weekend against Limerick. You mentioned the influence of, of Conor Whelan there. I mean, it does feel that uh, maybe some of the noise around him has, has cooled a little bit just because all the noise has been directed towards Limerick over the last little while. He's still like like an unbelievably young man and has shown great class over the last couple of seasons despite Limerick's success but where is Conor Whelan where does he rank in terms of inside forwards playing the game at the moment Cyril? 
Uh, I suppose at the moment, I, I think he's one of the best. He's very strong, very, very good to get his own ball. He's not a type like you could have ball past him, but he's had to win his own ball, high or low. And like he's very aggressive, very kind of low trajectory, down near the ground. Now, he's a strong guy, but very, very strong down near the ground. Great to get possession and get possible anchor scores. At times, he takes them impossible shots so when they go over everyone is happy now if they don't go over of course everyone's got to give notes and watch you trying but like he has that as anything now, he's as good as anyone around on the inside line at the moment and maybe stronger than most and uh, for Shefflin obviously he's going to be a key player uh, you, you know you, you need to build a style of play that gets the most out of the available talent it's very early you know again as you said we've got to take this the fact that Offaly have, have skipped the league as you said what 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 are the patterns of play that are emerging? Because it does sound like he's kind of the prototype Kilkenny forward that Shefflin will will look for. Yeah, well, like I'd say, Shefflin is trying to get kind of he's, he's you can see that he's trying to build up the middle for a start. All big men, you know. Yesterday he had Dahi Bork full back and he had Garros McInerney kind of centre back wing backers. The way they are now, they're to move around so much midfield. Uh, you know, you had Joseph Cooney and Ronan, uh, you know, the young young. Young uh, uh, and they're big men as well, and he had a Jack Hastings in tried centre forward. Now Jack would play most of his club. He plays all his club forward with Lima, which he has a back, but he's a big, strong, strong fellow under the high ball. Now, you know, he had a good first half, kind of fade in the second half, but you can see what he's trying to do. It's more a speed with strength up the middle. And Henry would be like, say, from the Cody school, he'd expect everyone to be able to win their own ball. Okay, he likes to pass them, but you have to win your own ball first, and you can see that kind of coming into the play. That's pretty much in the context of Limerick, sir. Let's just say if we're calling it straight here that they are leaning into the fact that they are a team who seem well capable of matching them physically. Well, yeah, like that, yeah, that's the, the you know, they're, they're the template now, I suppose, really. They're, they're the benchmark, even though like, they got, I'd say they got a surprise yesterday and it was a great, was a great lift for Wexford after being hammered the, day, the week before by Dublin, but like, uh, just shows you like the mantle of champions, like it's hard to win every game. Now that won't worry them because they're in the year they'll still be hot players but like people are beginning to show what you have to do to beat them What is that do you think? Well I think first of all you have to you know you can't give them easy possession you have to fight very very hard on every ball you have to crowd the middle really like and when they have the ball you don't have to dive in you have to kind of cover cover their runs everyone has to cover their own like if there's a wing forward going up the pitch like say the corner forward has to go his man everyone kind of it's all defence once they're on the ball because if you give them space they're very good at kind of these flick passes, 20 or 40 hours, like when they've ever moved and you know that's the one thing that Wexford they just they made it a battle. Now anyone that goes down to to, to, to Wexford Park, it's going to be a battle anyway because the more the Pierce Stadium, there's always a breeze in the place, like and uh, they're very used to it down there, like so. Like it was a great, you know, yesterday it was a great day for them, and it was a kind of you no, know, it was a wake up call probably to, to Limerick, and it won't make it any easier for God to go up next Saturday night to Limerick because like now Wexford or Limerick will be kind of saying, you know, four war, we have to get our act together. Mm. Uh, that's a brilliant timing for that fixture as well. Like it's interesting when you talk about what Wexford tried to do yesterday to, to to make it a battle for Limerick. It felt that Waterford had some success in doing that in the early stages of their game in the Championship last year against Limerick, and obviously kind of Limerick blew them away after that. Is it a sense here where you almost need to pick your moments against Limerick, where you tear into them for a little while and and almost need to just time your challenges and and time the ferocity of the challenges a little bit better that's, rather than saying we're going to do this that's, for that's for seventy eight minutes. Hundred percent sure because like last year what Waterford did for a good while, but weren't able to maintain it. So as you say, when you're attacking, when you're fighting for this ball, you have to be ferocious in it. But when you're defending, you have to be the very same. And there's time when you have to just, everyone goes into defence mode. And Walter are getting, you know, they're a bit like a uh, bit like Limerick that way. They're, they're developing on the whole time. But the big thing yesterday for, for Wexford is the likes of Paddy Folio's back on the, on the pitch again. A big influence in Wexford, Macho Hammond. They had great games at the back. 
Now the goal was maybe for choose snow, but it was a good one. Young Dwyer kept going, okay, he scrambled a good few yards, but like you got a shot in, you don't usually get away the shot. Like that Limerick full back line is still very, very good. Like they, they didn't let anyone down yet, but definitely it was a kind of a day Metro Hanlon, Party Foley, these guys really stood. They're strong men and they stood up to the they stood up to the mark and they'd relish that kind of a challenge. Limerick, if you think back to last year, they had a narky enough league. They were getting in scraps, they were getting in fights, they were losing games, they were winning close games. There was red cards, there was some red cards that weren't given last year. That's kind of like, that's in them now, in the league. Do we do we run the risk of reading too much into this? Or is this actually... Ah, yeah. Look, you can't read, Jared, this time of the year, like you're doing well to keep warm and, you know, certain players will be up. That was a big, you know, it was a big for Limerick, but it was a big game for Wexford yesterday, especially after kind of failing to perform against Dublin, like uh, you know, Darry Egan, the new manager, and he wouldn't. Whatever about we beat me, this performance, like the lack of fight uh, the day against Dublin, I'd say was alarming to him, and he made sure that that was that definitely was going to happen yesterday, no matter what else happened. That they were going to kind of you know die with their with their with their with their hearts, you know, kind of pump, and they were going to pump it into everything. They treated that game more like a like a Leinster final or an All Ireland final. Limerick were just going down to play, and maybe Limerick would uh, the good well, they don't that, that that many new lads, but maybe they begin to leave, believe the hype about themselves, which can be a very uh, dangerous thing. But I believe they've they've got the they've got the surprise or the shock in time to to rectify all that. What about the depth of this Limerick team, Cyril? Do, do you think that there is a, enough there, say, like, I mean, it's impossible to avoid the comparisons between Limerick and, and the great Dublin team and the hallmark of that Dublin team was the substitutes that they could bring on that were just as good as the lads coming off. Do Limerick have that same level of depth? Well, they tried a few yesterday, like, uh, Young Cochran's a good hurler, wing back, and O'Neill up front is a good hurler. Like, but, you see, it, it's hard enough to, you know, they're playing colleges hurling now at the moment too, like, they're playing freshers, them two guys, it happens with, with UL. You know, like, but you know, they are good hosts, and there's other lads there, the fringe players there. There's a few from the Pierce who aren't on the panel at the moment, but I expect to get back on again. To like, you know, David Dempsey, these guys, they're they're still good hurlers, like, you know, and they're strong. They've been around the block. But look, Limerick, they'll avoid, they'll try to avoid injuries, and when they have everyone back on song, they're still the team to beat, like, they're not going to be gone overnight, like, they'll take this into stride, and, you know, just do, kind of use it as a, as a learning exercise. And it's for John, you know, for John. You know, uh, for Kylie and and and, and Kinnerk, it's, it's happy hunting ground for them because there's something to work on again. That now look, lads, this has happened. Matter the mind of the saying, the mind the papers or the pundits is all the appraisement that you have to get down to work. That's what they'll be doing. You know, I'd expect I'd expect them to bounce back. This weekend's kind of an early marker then for for Galway potentially, Cyril. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's early for Henry in the sense he know where his players are and he know where the new lads are. Like we we kind of know. But you're going to get out of Dahi Burke and Joseph Cooney and these guys. You don't know about the new lads. It's nice to see like Tom Bannon, who's been there before, Ger, but like was always injured. He had a fine campaign last year in his club, Crockwell, and like he showed it again yesterday. The other lads are coming in now. Most of them are playing for Skipping Hurling with the, with the two uh, colleges in Galway. And uh, they're kind of out during the league. You know, Brian Concanon kind of kicked off yesterday injured. And that'll be... You know that'll be the, you know that'll be a concern for Jeffrey Linsky who's over the new IT team like you know because he's good he's one of kind of the regulars as well but they're, they're all a lot of these guys are playing double matches during the week so Fitzgibbon will be soon over of course be just down to Galway then or down to the single county. You, you can take the invitation here to overreact to anything you've seen so far in this calendar year but but who do you think is the second best team in the country at the moment? Well. Do you know a team that's impressing me at the moment now? I know it's early in the year and they only drew, should we say, only drew yesterday at home. But Dublin are impressing me because everyone is telling me, well, they're very, very fit. But like, you can see the pattern under Horland, they're at it. Matty Guinea has been at it for three or four years. They're playing the short ball, the long ball. They're supporting play off the shoulder, taking teams on with the, run, with the running game. Now, yesterday, 
I only saw a bit of it in the highlights. I didn't see it all, but yesterday the, the two teams were the same. You know, Watford uh, play the same as Dublin, or Dublin play the same as Watford. More just like Limerick, and maybe just not up to that level yet. Uh, a great game. I, I expect, to me, that so far, the start of the season, Dublin have been the team that has, has impressed me in the sense that, that you know, to the beating yesterday, not to get defeated. You know, like the, that they got the, the draw, and they're kind of going about their business every day. And it'll be interesting to see can they maintain this during the year if they can. If they can, they're going to be the dark horse, especially in Leinster. When I say dark horse, to me now, you know, they are playing well enough to be to be contenders for anyone. But they're kind of they're still new on the block. Because people expect them to be very fit this time of year, and then it comes down to the real hurling that they won't push through. But maybe this group are a bit different. They're, they're, you know, they're a good few years of Matty Kitty now, and you can see they all know what one another is doing or trying to do anyway. Cork obviously need to overcome the ghost of what happened to them in the All Ireland final last year. No better way than to rack up a big score. I'd love to see them come through a close game in the next couple of weeks just to, to see that yeah, there's no uh, hangover. That is you fellas like coming through from that under, a very good under twenty team as well. Look, Cork are very good hurlers here. Like this their, their their skill is lovely to watch and you if you give them room, as I always say, if you give them room to dance, they will dance like, you know, but even the beaten player well uh, Saturday evening, they still conceded a lot of scores as well, which is worrying. But like you you know, on their day, they can, you know, they'll hurl anyone. Look, look, last year with Limerick, like Limerick with their physicality and hurl type of hurl, it just blew them out the gate, which they're capable of doing to anything. But I think Cork will learn from it. And, you know, their underage structure has gone very strong the last few years. So, like, it's bound to come true eventually. Like, and, uh, you know, they, they don't need much to give them confidence in Cork. Like, they'll be, you know, even getting beaten, to be fair to them, they'll always stick to their own. And they're, they're confident in it. Was a, win, a win or two in the right places, but, like, Munster is tough here. Like, uh, the championship in Munster is, is, is very, very. It's, 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 no, it's a savage championship. So that that's going to be a test for them. But I expect them. You know, they have they have good hurlers, and uh, you know, it's eventually going to come true. Uh, just one last thing from uh, the weekend, sir. You mentioned the Dublin Waterford game. Good game, and also it seemed that the rules are working. What's your early impressions been of? of the black card this year because it does seem that in that if you're taking that game in isolation it's had the desired effect Yeah I, I think Joe, it'll be passed that Congress that will come in fully like whenever mm. they have a look at it it seems to be working anyway like you know a lot of the Harland uh, fraternity didn't want to come in saying they don't need it but you can see that they do need it really into working well and you know it's, it's, it's the referee's interpretation of it like that's that's the big thing, really. But to be fair to the referees that I've seen in the last few weeks with the Welsh Cup now and with the league net, they're doing very, very well. Like, and uh, with all the little tweaks, a lot, a lot of the supporters that have been roaring at them don't, don't, don't know the rules. You know, it's important that they explain it to everyone. But I, I can see it being kind of coming in for, for uh, per- permanent. And it was lovely to see yesterday as well, no break. Because, like, uh, these breaks would turn out to be like volleyball or that, that you could... You know, you make the first 15 or 17 minutes and you survive. And, like, I know it was supposed to be a water break, which everyone was used as a coaching break as well. And you could re, kind of reorganise yourself and reset yourself. And you usually found that the team was doing well in that first water, before the first water break. You know, the other crowd, the other team, the opposition did better the second time around. So now, like, if you're under the cost, you're under the cost. There's a full flow for the 35 minutes. I think it's a better contest that way. Yeah, I think you're dead right. That's uh, going to be very interesting to see what what happens because you won't have the chalkboards or the the little board out. No, no, no you can have them. You can have them at half time inside the dressing. Yeah. But like, this is long. There's a long way to go. It's, it's a, you know that last five or six minutes. You can be up a good few points and hit a few soft scores, and you're not up what you should be. Or you can stretch the league going into half time, which which is a great time. Then you get in and you know reorganise yourself again. The other way around, like it's, I know it, it fulfilled its purpose. Like but to me, it's great to see back to 35 minutes hurling flat out. Cyril, great stuff. Great to have you back. Thanks a million.
No problem, thank you. Cyril Farrell giving us some thoughts on the weekend there. Um, think about the the uh, black card and, and uh, oh, that's not a goal-scoring opportunity, but like Kyle Hayes gets the ball in the half-back line. It's a goal-scoring opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> Carol McInerney gets the ball. It's a goal-scoring opportunity. Do you know, like, oh, he's too far from goal. No, this is hurling. You can score from anywhere. Yeah. Beat yeah. one man and you're through one-on-one. And like, they can hit the ball pretty hard. Yeah, uh, like I, I guess it's uh, the the moment you're kind of talking about there is, is possibly the one of the Gaelic rounds last year. That's that uh, temporary moment where somebody was fouled out by the sideline and there was the, the, the double jeopardy awarded to the opposing team. So that that annoyed a lot of people. And and I think maybe more clearly defining it could work in their favour. I, I can't like I mean the the, the book went to Congress over the next little while about that goal scoring opportunity and and the number of metres you need to be away from the sideline for example makes sense it'll just be interesting to see how it's actually carried out in practice because it's, it's already a pretty hard game to referee uh, the, the last thing the referee needs is to be thinking to himself is that 20 metres away from the sideline is it 15 metres away I can't really tell so it's a confusing game but I, I, by and large I think I think the, yesterday kind of showed that, that this will have a really positive impact, positive impact on the game a couple of comments from a little bit earlier on if you want to get involved you can leave a comment in the YouTube stream Matthew Rice says lads the Irish team I did that one sorry less caps um, uh, Eddie Jones deserved to be in the red Marcus Smith with a Johnny Sexton-esque performance hauled off when England needed most some more shifty lad was in touch again to say Jerry you always quote never give a sucker an even break put your foot on the throat and push down on poor Wales I mean look uh, France play England and Scotland away historically terrible venues for them says Dahi O'Shaughnessy you're going to regret this morning for next time Wales beat Ireland. You're going to be like, 7th of February 2022, I had the opportunity to really stick the knife into Welsh rugby and I didn't take it. They know. They don't you know need us telling them. I mean... But it's not about telling them. I mean, they know all the details. It's about you... Lording it over. It's you just giving us some entertainment on, on a Monday morning more than anything else. Do we bring in Henderson for the French game? Byrne is a great player, but the French are a bit like tanks. I mean, maybe he gets on the bench. Henderson's pretty good. Burns great player. Like is that? Well, what's it? He is pretty good. Does that suggest that Burns doesn't start? Oh no, Burns starts. Sorry, you put Henderson on the bench instead of sorry instead of Ryan Baird. Isn't that it? Yeah, Burns is a great player, but the French. Uh, um, He's yeah. saying sorry. Kevin Callahan thinks you bring in Henderson for the French game and have Ty Burns on the bench, which yeah. you could do. It's a bit harsh. It's incredibly harsh. I don't think that. Um, I don't think that Burns' weight seems to be an issue anymore because he keeps dominating in games. Oh, he's too light to, to be... No, this is, seems to be okay. And also, our front row is good. Like, we have we have other... Collectively, by their powers combined, they are 10 Tigers. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, that oh, you can't put him in the team. He's not a tight headlock. We yeah. need Quinn Rue. Yeah, I, I, think that, I think that narrative is has changed quite a bit I think it's for, funny isn't it yeah Burn yeah, like has been absolutely sensational this year it's a great like I mean the, the whole talk in this part of the world is oh, there's not enough second rows or we don't produce them naturally or whatever um, and I think if Henderson is your sub coming off the bench or Ty Burn, I mean that's a, that's amazing depth like of course you're hoping that all three players are going to be fit and James Ryan in a, in a fairly attritional position and that's not always going to be the case but if if those three are, are always fit for Ireland, it, it is an incredible selection headache for for Farrell. Uh, the Ring Rose try was after the Porter rip. That's right, yeah. says uh, Sean RL. Is that Sean Rugby League or real life? Either way, thanks, Sean. Fergus Kiosa says Sexton was man of the match potentially. Yeah, I, I, I would have been happy with that. It did. It felt like Matt Hansen was like, "Well, we need to talk to this guy. We need to." But they could have talked to him anyway. Ah, no, I. I he was I, very good. Yeah, I would have had him in MOTM. I probably would have I, I was, MVP. 
because like, without the, the couple of uh, errors off the tee I probably would have had Sexton and granted I mean if you put yourself in that position you're going to be the, under the magnifying glass the, the curvature his, he had the full tricks of the golf game out as opposed to I'm just going to kick this straight through the post yeah. and it was like whoa banana kicks today yeah and then he doesn't go with the banana kick for the third one to the right know. side. Yeah, are they, um, are, is that reliable under under pressure? And like, you know? well, he was saying that it was due to the wind, and right. that his miscue in the first half was that the wind blew in the wrong direction or stopped blowing just at the exact wrong moment. Okay. Yeah, so that was that was his analysis. OTBAM brought to you by Gillette. Good morning. Start with Gillette. Put your best face forward with their new and improved razors. We'll give away a Gillette starter pack a little bit later on in the show. If you want to enter, just tell us who you think should be in our performance rankings: green, orange, or. Red, certainly in the red. Dublin football, is it? Is it in crisis? Anthony Moyes is with us this morning. Anthony, good morning to you. Morning, gents. How are we? Yeah, good. Owen is unbelievably excited and desperately trying to rein in the level of excitement. He, he had a, There was a full meeting with the uh, Kerry Mafia in the aftermath of the game. There is no Kerry Mafia. And the, the, exactly, the first thing, the first best trick that uh, the devil ever um, pulled was pretending he didn't exist. Uh, here's the thing. They know that they have a team now and uh, they're they're trying not to overreact because it was only Dublin. It was only this Dublin team, and so you can't yeah. read too much into it. Yeah, and uh, you know Dublin are in transition, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know all the excuses you can have coming out. Um, yeah, they have a team. They have a team. Um, I don't think I don't think anyone's ever going to suggest that they don't have a team. But um, what impressed me most about Kerry, I suppose, was their was their defence. Actually, um, you know, we we probably questioned it a little bit last year. Um, as regards their setup, um, but they were rock solid at the weekend. Now, listen, Dublin did not help themselves at all. Um, but like I mean, Kerry from the get-go, you could see it in the you could see the intent. The intent was to be you know aggressive in the face of the Dublin players. They got a number of matchups right. You know, Barry always has a good time against Fenton. He annoys him. He gets in his face. He kind of just follows him, tracks him around the place. Um, and bar a bit of a spell in the second half, he did that pretty well. And he put the shackles on him. But, you know, they, you know, some of the new guys they brought in, they weren't afraid of the, the, the physical stuff. They were certainly getting in the faces of the Dublin players. And, um, you know, look, at the end of the day, I actually think they could have been well out of sight at halftime, even more out of sight. You know, they, they, they missed they missed probably three to four relatively easy chances in the first 10 minutes when, you, you know, fellas might say, oh, the players were getting their eye in, but Ganey missed in handy one, Clifford missed, I think, two. Um, you know, and you were kind of saying, actually, their scores they should have had. They probably could have been seven or eight or nine points up. And actually, you know, I think the scoreline in the first quarter um, just flattered Dublin, really. So if we just stick with Kerry for a moment then before we get into to Dublin like those uh, question marks around the defence is there a case to be made Anthony, that, that those question marks kind of rear their head mostly when Kerry are under severe pressure say whether it's Cork in 2020 or, or, or Tyrone last year and that it will very much be jury is out until they're in one of those very high pressure scenarios and we will see how they hold up because I guess being 13 points up at one stage in the game doesn't necessarily constitute a high pressure scenario no, it doesn't, Owen, you're right. But at the same time, you can only do what's put in front of you, you know. So, like, I mean, they obviously decided after last week, OK, Dublin are coming down here. Now, look, we get into the dubs, as you say, but because they definitely, it was a massive factor um, in their naivety and their tactical play and their strategy, you know, which was which which left me a bit kind of bamboozled. But, you know, the Kerry guys were out in front. They were, they were tackling hard. They were hunting in packs. They were very organised. Do you remember, I got, 
don't know if you guys remember, but last year they had they had they seemed to have a bit of a situation where there wasn't really that much communication going on. Players were drifting to other players. You know, there was a kind of a thing of you know there was a lot of um, effort and an awful lot of kind of uh, uh, um, you know kind of rush to the ball. And what I got was this sense of fellas who were really trying hard, but they were you know kind of leaving their brain a little bit in the dressing room. So they were rushing to a player, and all of a sudden there was a guy in behind him, pop pass over the head, goal. You know, stuff like that. And actually, the the opposite of course was happening at, at the weekend. So you got you got. I think they were they were they were calm. You know, they were they were much more disciplined. Um, I thought they were more in control. Um, they were very, very confident at the back. Like I, you know, on a dirty, dirty night, they were well able to play the ball across their across their own uh, uh, goal line. They were handy enough going back to the keeper. You know, they 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 epitomised coolness, I suppose. Now the Dublin tackling wasn't overly great in the forwards, um, and they did kind of allow them out handily enough. But the big thing for me. Own, and the massive change is their speed now coming out of the defence. Like they have no problem. There's no going back and across the pitch. As soon as the man gets a ball, especially with his back, uh, where he's facing his own goal, he generally tries to turn himself um, and just take off. Um, and, you know, there was a number of them. Murphy did runs like that. Obioglik did some great runs up the pitch where he just, you know, especially against the breeze, he managed to carry the ball 40, 50 yards, a couple of hand passes off with other guys, and Morley did the same, you know, and their speed coming out of defence, like some of the Dublin guys were just flapping at them, and actually some of the Dublin guys actually just stopped chasing them, and their speed was 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 was, was so immense coming out of it. So they've, they've, you know, with a couple of guys like White to come back, you know, you're starting to say this unit now is really, really strong. Um, like some of their speed coming out of defence actually surprised me. Like as I said, they were they were they were they were carrying the ball and actually continuing to to move away from Dublin players, which is which is very rare. You know, you usually see the chasing guy obviously start to catch up. Um, I thought midfield was very strong. I thought O'Connor had a, had an unbelievable game, um, and he's becoming a real leader. And he's becoming the guy that he allows Barry do his his dog work, and he's the guy that just has that extra bit of class and extra bit of talent. He can kick scores, he can do whatever you want want yourself. But um, no, they were they were they were very impressive. So although you might want to dampen it down, I yeah, think I'll uh, wrap it up. What, what age is Damon O'Connor? What, what? Oh, 22, 23? So he's just so he's, yeah. this is kind of his flowering into one of the leaders of the team. Yeah. Like I mean, it's interesting. Like I was kind of watching it back yesterday, and he was interviewed as uh, part of the man of the match process, and and he was saying that himself and Jack Barry are kind of eager to get back in quickly and get a bit of consistency under their belt because that has been the issue with, with David O'Connor has just been a little bit inconsistent over the last little while. He's been frustrating to watch because everybody knows his ceiling is outrageously high. He is the potential next great midfielder in Kerry, and he showed that on Saturday night exactly where his ceiling is at. What's interesting is that kind of like standing in the terrace on Saturday night it seems that Mike Quirk is having quite a big influence on what Kerry are doing against the kick out he is communicating directly almost with Dermot O'Connor telling him what to do at, at each kick out and obviously Kerry has done a lot of work over the last 7-8 years on Cluxon's kick out for example it seems that Quirk in particular is having a, a big influence on that midfield at the moment well if we look at it on, on the flip side of things then Anthony, because I'm really interested to get your take on this. There was a moment then in the in the second half, and this is just kind of like plucking one moment out, where Dublin had a free kick maybe 60 yards out from the Kerry goal. So it was a dead ball. It was the opportunity for them to show us what their preferred style of play is. And I can't remember who took the free kick. And I know they had the burn to their back, but it goes straight in long into the Kerry full back line and Kerry gobble up the ball and they go back down the other end of the pitch. But... 
what is the what is the the, the plan there from from Dublin in that moment? Was that just a sense of desperation chasing the game, or are they really not sure what they're supposed to do in those moments? Because that is not something we would have seen recently from Dublin at all. Well, I, I think I think there was small little instances of that. Um, throughout the game you know and and it's funny like we, we spoke about the veil starting to slip a, a little bit last week you know and I think everyone was kind of putting it down to ah oh, well it's a team in transition and of course it's a team in transition but what's 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 I think where the question marks are going to come is is that well albeit that it's a team in transition you still have enough All-Ireland winners on the pitch um, and there doesn't seem to be any semblance of, as you say, identity or strategy or, you know, who are we? What what kind of play? And, and, and are we going to set up, you know, smartly against the team? So you, you end up in a situation where you're going down to Kerry, you, you, you lose the toss. So you're in you're in a pretty horrible situation. But all the pressure all week was, oh, you, you played the ball over and back, too many hand passes. So straight away, they start to try to play the ball in direct into the full forward line. Um, on a dirty night, the ball isn't perfect. It's bouncing around. And the amount of times Dublin turned over the ball from, you know, kicking 60-40, 50-50 balls into the full forward line from, from from way back. Like, And I think I remember the one you were talking about where it was kicked from, you know, way too far back. It was actually landing on around the 21 with Kerry guys just running out looking to fist the ball. So, like, for me, you're kind of going, like, what would you look to do there? You could look to go down to Kerry. You look to try to frustrate in the first half, especially playing uh, playing against the elements. You're going to say, right, we're just going to lock this down. We're going to get at least two players on Clifford and O'Shea inside. We're going to have a man, man mark and Paddy Clifford to stop him trying to be quarterback the game. But like, I felt sorry for Davy Byrne. Like Davy Byrne was eventually hauled off Clifford and ended up playing kind of a, as a half back. But sure, the poor fella, I'd say, was dizzy at that stage because he was marking him one on one. He was getting turned left, right, and centre. He had no help. The ball coming in was absolutely perfectly played in by the Kerry lads. So you were kind of going like there's there's not just one thing and and I think it's it's cheap and it's kind of it's it's lazy just to say ah oh, it's a team in transition like you know Dublin have, Dublin have got a, a number of question marks over them there's a there's a point if you want to really watch and you look at the identity of Dublin from here to a couple of years ago there's a, there's a free actually on around 30 minutes and Howard is taking it and I don't know if you remember this but there was a bit of a delay so Howard has the ball. And he's probably standing just inside his own half, um, close to midfield. And there's players all around him. The Kerry guys, to be fair, had kind of marked up on the Dublin players. Um, and as the free, the whistle is blown to take the free, he kind of looks across and there's a diagonal pass on. But obviously he says to himself, I don't fancy that. It's across the pitch. It's against the breeze. It could go anywhere. But all of the Dublin players are just standing. There's about eight guys in the picture. Um, and all of them are standing beside their carry man, pointing towards the, the diagonal pass. But none of them are actually making any major attempt to get free for him. So, of course, he's standing there. No one's really, you know, they used to always have the outlet just behind you, just kick the ball back and you'd start the process. But instead, he kicks this aimless 50-yard ball up in the air, down between two, a Kerry guy and a Dublin guy. I think it was Dean Rock. And, and by the way, the ball gets broken. It comes down. And if you remember, Kerry work it across the far side of the pitch. It comes to Clifford, and he kicks that unbelievable score where he feigns to go on his right, turns inside, and kicks it on his left. Um, and again, one-on-one. On one. And if you watch again, there's Dublin players tracking back, and no one makes an attempt to try to double up on Clifford and help Davy Byrne. So like, just in those... Like, I mean, if, if you're doing video work for, from, a, from a Dublin perspective this weekend or, or this week, should I say, 
you're looking at that microcosm of, of two minutes and you're saying, lads, like, I mean, this is everything. This is, this is, you wouldn't see it in junior football. You know, like, I mean, it was as, it was as amateur as you get. Um, and, and it was so un-Dublin like, like, don't mind, you know, we haven't got scorers on the pitch or not, but there isn't, I don't get the semblance at all that they realize, you know, what they're actually doing at any moment in time. And, 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 the, and the thing about Dublin in those last number of years when they were in the All-Irelands was in every single instance of every game, whether they were behind in the last couple of minutes, there was a feeling of, you know, we know what we're doing in the moment and we know what we're going to do and we have already practiced this. And I just get the sense that, that that's not there anymore. Mm. Uh, we'll get more good evidence one way or another after the Mayo game in two weeks. No no better opponent to roll into town to uh, to test you. The way Mayo are, are, seem to be pretty happy with life at the moment, apart from some of the injuries they're suffering. Let's talk about Armand and Tyrone, though. Um, uh, the rivalry is back. Armand are back. A full house. A feverish atmosphere. And uh, more red cards than you can shake a stick at. <laughs> yeah, where do you want to start? Well, let's start with the rivalry. Yeah. Uh, and let's start with Armagh, because in fairness, they deserve, like, what we've seen from them is a style of pet of play, patterns emerging, a physicality that is, like, years in the making, a manager reaching the full potential of, of his own, like, massive levels of experience now at this stage, 15 years of intercounty management. Yeah, it's amazing, actually. You know, when you think back, like, he, he, he has just managed to kind of get that tenure to kind of unbeknownst to people. Like, I mean, it's a long, long time that he's been in. He's been around, uh, obviously, the inter-county scene. Um, and as you say, Jared, massive experience. Um, the team has definitely been in the making. Like, I mean, you can see them, the physicality that they have. Every one of them is well able to, you know, ship tackles, hit uh, do what's needed. They are all very, very athletic. Um, you know, unbelievably athletic, strong runners. Um, there's a couple of areas that they need to improve on, and I'd say there's a couple of areas that Kieran wasn't too happy about in the second half. Um, but let's look at the positives first. You know, I think they, I think they, look, they got off to a great start. The goal was probably a bit fortuitous, but at the same time, they probably should have had another one after it. Um, I think they had Tyrone on the rack. You know, very much so very confident play and they were running really 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 hard actually so much so that I think they probably emptied a bit too much of the tank in the first half because they kind of fell off a bit in the second half but they wanted to start fast they wanted to set down markers with Tyrone you know typical kind of probably you know post all Ireland hangover Tyrone were kind of in it but weren't really in it until they woke up in the second half and said right you know we're getting the we're getting the lard beaten out of us here lads time to stand up so um it was a great test for McGinney great test for Armagh um you know O'Neill didn't have as good a day as he had the previous week although his two scores in the first half were fantastic um but you know your your Hamsey and the boys started to tighten up as I say and started to try to you know impose their physicality on the game and you had a situation where it became a real ding-dong battle in that second half like an, an, a, you know a brilliant brilliant game um, McGinney's building like I mean there's no doubt about it Ulster we said it last week um, the level of competition there is going to be savage again this year um, and he has a he has a brilliantly mobile unit who who just to counter the, the argument that I have for Dublin none of them do anything that they shouldn't do and I don't mean that they're hamstrung by it but if you watch Og Burns, for example, a lot of the time he comes down the left wing at pace, and he will invariably look to dish the pass off. You know, so he he'll try to he'll try to suck in players, and then he'll look for the. And a couple of times you're kind of saying, "Geez, he probably should have taken a shot there." 
Um, but he doesn't do it. But actually in the second half, when they were really under a cosh, it was about 60-odd minutes gone, he got the ball coming in off the end line, if you, if you remember, down the far end. And there was no one else around. And, he, and it was a really, really big, vital score, actually. It was a score to push them back out because Tyrone were all over. And he took it and he kicked it. So you're kind of saying, you know, these guys are all well-prepared. You know, they're, they're, they're playing to a style... Um, they have a few things to work on, Jerry. I think when Tyrone started to run at them, they, they fouled a bit too much in the second half where there was loads of bodies, actually. They had eight or nine bodies in that central area. They protect that central area very, very well. They generally pull back a midfielder into that central area and he will look to come. And, and kind of like what Dublin used to do with John Small, he kind of acts as that plus one. Um, and, and they don't give much away. But in the second half, they were kind of throwing hands in and they were fouling Tyrone a bit much. Um, and actually they, they, they kind of due to their probably indiscipline they let they let Tyrone one of one of the factors to let Tyrone back into the game but there's no doubt about it he's building a he's building a very very strong squad and a team that you know what they, they should go very far they should go far in this championship how is there something that our math fans can look at over the last two weeks that will give them hope that it's not going to be a situation like say Galway in even in 2018 or, or even in 2020 I know Covid played a part in 2020 where you have these unbelievable starts to the league where they're taking out some of the best teams and things just fizzle out a little bit especially once the, the championship gets up and running because it certainly feels to me as if this is real this is a legitimate All-Ireland contender in Armagh like do you share that confidence? It's hard on, you know, I think it's hard to keep those levels. Like, you even see the match yesterday. The amount of hard running that they did yesterday, um, they had a very different animal yesterday to Dublin last week. So they, they couldn't just spray those passes in and kind of play counter-attack football. Tyrone kind of sat in and said, listen, you're going to have to try to beat us um, with some, you know, kind of interlinking type play in the first half which they did you know and they worked it very very well um, and Tyrone tried to catch them on the counter but their ability to run back and then you know clog up space like I mean they really expended a massive amount of energy there is a there is you know I think talking to most coaches they will tell you that it's still a long season and trying to keep fellas at that level and trying to keep them fresh and trying to keep them kind of really enthusiastic about things and just, you know, hopping off the ground. That's that's the massive challenge. And when you decide that you're going kind of, you know, flat out on the league, is to try and maintain that through the championship. Because other teams, such as like Tyrone, will probably have it off a little bit and they'll start to gear it up as they go through. So that's probably going to be McGinney's biggest challenge, I would reckon, uh, is, is, is trying to maintain that level of consistency, you know. Uh, but um, to be fair... You know what? He's right. They they have the division one. You know it's there. They they can't be the whipping boys, and they need to set some markers down. So he's going about it, in my view, the right way. What about Tyrone? Yeah, I think they'd be okay, Jer. I think I think they'd be happy enough yesterday. You know, they'll come off that pitch and they'll go. We were well out of it. We 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 were. You know, we could have been got the lard knocked out of us we could have been 15 16 points of a hammer but instead we stuck in we dug in uh we matched whatever physicality was being thrown at us uh and as a matter of fact we caused a bit of panic in the armada like I mean, there was about two or three points in it and the camera switched to mcgini mcgini didn't look like a happy boy you know he was he was he was worried um so tyrone will say to themselves no you know we're, we're okay we, we were coming back fellas got time fellas got minutes in the legs um 
you know, they're still an unbelievable team for some of their cornerbacks to come up and pip scores. You know, like, I mean, it's a great thing to have where you're, where you're up against that mass defence and the ball goes out to your number two or your number four and they're confident enough. Like, Hampsey scored another raker of a point yesterday. McKernan kicked another great score. So it's that kind of thing of... Not a lot of teams have that. Some teams, you, you know, you see the ball going back to two, three or four and you're saying, well, he's not going to shoot. So all we need to do is stay on our main guys again. But with Tyrone, they still have that ability. I think they'd be OK, Jared. They're, they're, they're building. You know, they will be they will be as strong as ever. And as a matter of fact, Canavan was getting more game time yesterday and was kind of linking well. So, you know, they're probably adding a little bit more. McShane, obviously, as well, coming back and, and getting game time. So, no, I think I think he'd be happy enough if they were bet by kind of nine or ten or you know, and it just petered out. I'd say he'd be saying to himself, right, do they have the do they have the fight in them again this year? But I think they showed enough fight um, that you know, I don't think they'd be too worried. Too much fight with the red cards, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, like look, I think this stuff of the dragging around it like I'd rather a fella stand up square onto me and you know the two of us duke it out than a fella kind of grab me behind by my neck where I'm kind of a little bit unbeknownst to what's going on and drag me down it's quite a dangerous thing to be honest um, you know I think I think it is I don't think look there was so much going on and it went on for so long you know Goff was nearly like a fella sitting down with a box of popcorn at one stage he was just kind of sitting over there kind of saying yep yeah, him and I love him um, and I think what he mostly reacted to was that thing of someone pulling a guy around the neck and pulling him backwards where he was maybe facing someone else. I think guys who are grappling and maybe on the ground, you know, at the end of the day, that's just you're really holding each other and there's not a whole pile going on. But I think definitely this idea of, which they could do, which is this kind of thing of someone grabbing you from behind. The MMA um, chokeholds. That's where it's come from. It is MMA. They're, you know... Well, there it is. Yeah, yeah. And like, I mean, you know, uh, it wasn't done. Like, it wasn't done when I played. Uh, you know, kind of, it was much more, as you say, face-to-face. You know, you didn't have that kind of thing. And actually, like, I know a couple of years ago they tried to bring in, and they still have it, that the third man in will get punished. But you see, there, there's gray area there with that chokehold, and there's a gray area with this kind of idea of getting someone in a headlock. So, fellas have probably said, "Well, this is the gray area. So, if you are going to go in, you're going to go in this way. You're not going to go in swinging because if you go in swinging, you're definitely getting gate. But if you go in and grab someone and pull them down to the ground, uh, like I mean, a lot of damage could be done, uh, uh, and there's no doubt about it, it could be done. And of course, if it's happening there, it's happening all over the country. So, like, it was unbelievable to see Goff." do four in a row um you know like i mean it was quite amazing uh but you know it's going to be interesting to see the fallout of it and, and like i mean of course to be you know the ddd or whatever it is the the be the be videos and to be evidence but i think i think it needs to be stamped out because it actually is quite a dangerous tackle um and people will say oh it was handbags but you know you know, you'd nearly rather see fellas square enough to each other than this kind of. I, I actually think it's quite a. It's quite a. It's a cynical, and it's quite. A, it's quite a. It's nearly. It's 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 not a very brave tackle to do. You know, if I'm coming up behind you, Jer, and you don't see me coming, and I grab you around the neck, and you're maybe engaged with someone else, and I grab you around the neck and pull you down to the ground, um, you know, it's a cheap one. You know, and I don't like. It. So the red cards were in in that instance that it's the correct approach and actually uh, everybody taking their suspensions and maybe a diktat going out next time this happens keep with the red cards the game might change for the better if we stop this 
Well, I think, look, are you going to stop? There was a bit of stuff in the Kerry game as well um, where fellas are holding each other and, you know, you're you're going to get that, right? And that, there's going to be instances where that happens, you know, start of a game or after half time and stuff like that. Um, and mostly now it's about me trying to hold you and pushing you. So everyone knows that as soon as you go near the face or anything like that, you're, you're, you're gone. So guys are trying to kind of stamp their physicality on it. But at the end of the day, like, really, it's a load of posturing. That's all it is. You know, like, I mean... The, you know, if you want to be physical and if you want to be, you know, kind of set markers, you set markers down on the ball. So if the ball is there to be won and there's a guy near it, well, you, you he, he's going to know all about it because you're going to go for the ball with everything you have. And that's where, you know, you see this kind of, I, I, you know, when you talk about the physicality in the game or a team setting themselves down, that that's where it really comes to. The ferociousness in the tackle, not necessarily taking a fella's head off, but just being brave, going down on the ball, you know, turning guys over within the rules of the thing. But this 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 idea of, you know, we're just going to go around and we're going to kind of, as you say, it's it, it, it's posturing to me, you know, like, I mean, and, and by the way, but the whole idea of this grappling and this kind of thing around the neck is, is that, someone has seen that there's a gray area and they're like, okay, well, we can push it to this far and this is how we can get a little bit over the edge without necessarily suffering major uh, disciplinary processes. But of course, I think it should happen and I think you're right. I think to stamp it out, they have to make set a marker now and say, no, this is an issue. You can't grab someone around the neck. You can't do a chokehold um, and you know you're going to suffer the consequences if you do. Anthony, good stuff. We'll leave it there. Thanks a million. No bother, lads. Talk to you soon. Anthony Moore has given us some thoughts around the weekend's action. Anything else you wanted to talk about? Um, I mean, you're Kildare. Uh, the the uh, deflation has already begun on the, the scenes from Newbridge the previous week, has it? Uh, I mean, it's going to be very difficult for Kildare to stay up, right? That That's the situation they're in. They're outside your top eight in the power rankings for a good while. And um, those teams who come up from Division 2 staying in Division 1 is the most important thing you can possibly happen so there's a few big games coming up mm. there's, there's an opportunity for them to stay up given the way that other results have gone it's not a it's not done just yet but still got to play at Dublin so that's guaranteed two points to Kildare it's the, the key one in Newbridge of course yeah uh, it doesn't really matter I mean to take them in Croke Park as well at the moment so maybe, the, maybe the they want to, maybe they want to play them in Croke Park you know maybe there, there is I've heard that logic yeah there is there is part of that but um uh, Mayo's victory over Monaghan obviously we haven't talked about Mayo yet but we will talk about Mayo I think a bit more in the performance rankings uh, McLaughlin's injury is a concern um, Galway Galway are back Flecky Galway's gone they beat down in down yeah was, like I mean they were, and they were sensational obviously the, the week before and I mean like Galway would have expected them to be in the mix for promotion for sure like themselves and Ross Common and Derry look like the three most likely at this point to be fighting it out for those promotion spots at the moment like I mean, um, well, we've come back to this in the power rankings, right? Power rankings, yeah, hundred percent. Because the power rankings is in crisis. It was it so is. wrong last week. Yeah, so wrong. Oh no, hold on, what? Yeah, we'll get to that again. Don't worry. Twelve minutes past nine. Here's what's going up on OTB Sports Radio today. Uh, OTB Gold is James McLean at one o'clock. State of the Union Rugby at three. Our Culture Hall of Fame is Stephanie Prizner at four. OTB Gold is Centaur, uh, Declan Murphy, the jockey, talking about his horrific brain injuries. And then uh, the show is live tonight from seven. We'll bring you hurling with the former Waterford boss, Derek McGrath, before 10. But up next, Alan Quinlan. OTB AM. Oh, be careful. Be careful now. Be careful. Is this sort of something like a couple of connections? You know, Alan's been saying it's supposed to be a different one down there, but... 
Just let him calm down for one second, well, and he'll uh, well, he'll tell you in a second. No, look, some of the kicks, like even the couple of the first ones, were hit exactly where I wanted to hit, and it was almost—I don't know what the term for it is—where where you're aiming slightly right and expecting the the wind to to go right to left, and it goes the other way. So you know, it's uh, it was a tough day. Um, I was happy with how I recovered from it. Um, I I was happy with how it didn't didn't let it affect the other parts of the game. Um, but yeah, of course you you want to get them all. I'm 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 I'll lie awake tonight probably thinking about them. But at the same time, it's it's there was a couple of them that there was nothing I could have done about it. Um, I suppose the 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 one at the end annoyed me because I knew what what line I had to hit it on, and and the wind calmed down, and and I I changed my mind. Um, that's what annoyed me the most. But the other ones, good kicks, uh, and just, yeah, one of those things. Yeah, OK, so Johnny Sexton in the aftermath. Talking about the missed kicks, but really, that's a historical footnote to an absolute thrashing that Ireland handed out to Wales. Uh, Alan Quinlan is with us this morning. Alan, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, lads. How are you? Not a bad start to the Six Nations. There have been slow starts from Ireland in Six Nations past where you kind of leave yourselves a bit snookered, but that's not the case this time. Bonus point wrapped up, good quality performance, injury profile pretty good. All in all, about a perfect day's work. Yeah, perfect day's work, I think. Um, obviously, they, they left some chances behind them, and but overall, it was a very positive result. And um, I see you made Wales online as well. Own yourself. And John Duggan joined you this time. Did you did you spot that? No. Oh yeah, we did. Yeah, he did. <laughs> well, you met it last year, and you irked a lot of Welsh people. And uh, we were right then. We were just a year early. <laughs> you were a year early, but uh, yeah, I was checking it out over the weekend, and um, it was. Uh, you, you knew you were going to make it again, anyway. So maybe it's a regular thing every year now that you're going to make this. But you got it right this time. Twenty-two point win. Uh, dominant. Look, Ireland could have won by a lot more. Wales were poor, and they were missing a lot of players, a lot of experience players as well. That's um, you know, and but our results against Wales are in, in Dublin have been pretty positive over the years. So um, I don't think anyone will get too carried away. Um, we all expected Ireland to to be pretty comfortable winners, given where they're at and where Wales are at, and 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 as I said, all the injuries as well. And um, the start really set the tone, didn't it? it? It was kind of a continuation on from from where they were in November. And I think if you're a player in the group and you get that kind of energy and intensity early on and that sort of dominance, um, you start to feel good about yourself and the team did. And, uh, you know, some great tries. I think they probably would have liked to have scored a little bit more in the first half. But I think, you know, Conway's was at his second try was outstanding just the teamwork the the execution and some of the attack throughout the game was was sensational and they've been criticised for the last couple of years um, but it was really really good can we get too far ahead of ourselves I don't know but um, given what we saw on Saturday the signs are really encouraging I guess the thing is if there's going to be a moment that's going to bring you back down to earth it's probably going to be this weekend uh, against France so I guess it helps that arguably their most difficult fixture comes this weekend but on that point when you talk about say like Conway's second try and a couple of those moments of play from Ireland it's been spoken about but but this idea of, of different playmakers around the pitch is definitely something that Ireland have 
have kind of followed through with over the last little while where you do have say Mac Hansen coming into the middle you've obviously got Tyke Furlong coming out as, as one of the receivers at, at times it does seem as if there is a, a fluidity in that back line at the moment involving the forwards that opposite opposition teams really struggle to get the grips with yeah the impressive thing on is their shape and attack and their ability to make short little passes to each other to be to engage a defensive line each time it's it's um if you're a defender against Ireland's attack um when they're going from in those from wide to wide I think everyone's an option coming forward and I think that's probably you know Mike Cat deserves credit for this because he came under a lot of criticism as well and a lot of these players have had to change probably um, a style of play that was so effective under Joe um, and brought great success. Obviously, it came to a bit of a stuttering halt at the end in 2019. Um, I think they still need to have that in the, in the tank, um, you know, against, you know, France and Saturday it could be different. You might have to kick a little bit more and make sure you, you find territory and, and like dog it out and be really physical and direct with them at times. But they're not, you only need that for moments in the game. I think they're not going to go back to, to kicking the ball away a lot. I think they want to play times. Maybe they overplayed a little bit in their own half at, at the weekend. And, and that's risky. And um, that would be risky in Paris, but they're brave and they're excited by, by, by what they're doing. And if you look at the impact of the back row and, the handling skills of Ty Byrne as well. Um, and then you the front row, the carrying options. Ty Byrne gave a pass, a little wraparound pass to Sex in the first half. It was, it was incredible. Um, so I think they're getting a lot of the attack right and they're getting it right on the game line. And their execution is really, really um, outstanding. But, you know, you're going to get a different sort of pressure now on, on Saturday. So, um, They'll certainly look back and there was occasions where they needed to be that bit ruthless. I'd love to see them all, you know, have been more effective. Um, but look, that's it was it was against the poor Welsh side and uh but they'll be full of confidence and really believe yeah. that they can go to Paris. I guess that's the thing, isn't it? Like the the November internationals were great in that it it injected a lot of confidence to the team. The win at the end of last season, Six Nations, was kind of the, the start of this. But we haven't yet really played a team like this French team in that run. Like the New Zealanders are at the end of a very long season. They're away from home. It's a full house for us. This is it now. This is us away against a team who are firing in all cylinders, had a great little warm up at the weekend. Uh, you know, nice little, took a few shots, but nothing in any way significant. And this is the measure now, and it's it's a good it's a good starting point because it's here, it's summer in uh, New Zealand, and then it's next year Six Nations, and then it's the World Cup. But it kind of starts properly this weekend. So, what are your fears about this French team? What they might be able to do to us? Do we box kick a little bit too much, or the box kick's not accurate enough, or is everything about as good as it, it can be? Um, no, everything's not as good as it can be. I think. Um, you make a valid point about the the opposition. I think um, you know France and Ireland were outstanding against against New Zealand, and a lot of the commentators and and people were saying, "Well, New Zealand are on the end of a long season, and they're not the New Zealand of old." Um, but 
you know, the way Ireland played and the way France played against them. And rightly, I think so, both both sides kind of sent a message out that um, they were, you know, probably up there with the best teams in the world um, at the end of, uh, in November. I think the worry with France is, and this is a worry I have with Ireland, and maybe they'll answer this, this worry and concern at the weekend is, can they cope with the physicality and power that the French will bring? You know, England, obviously, when the Vunapolos were there and, you know, you had Launchbury and Johnny Hill and Atoje and Courtney Laws and all these guys, they've caused us problems in the last couple of seasons with power and the physicality. I watched the French against Italy yesterday and look, they were quite rusty and it wasn't their best performance either. There's a lot of room for improvement there. But one of the things that you're going to get against France on Saturday is a real physical power. Um, they have a lot of big ball carriers and they're quite similar, I think, in in, in their attack um, to, to the way Ireland are playing. But Marchand, the hooker, Antonio, the prop, Willemse, Jalange, Aldrit, you can start rattling off their ball carriers as well and the impacts they have and they get over the game line. They're very aggressive counter-rucking. So that's where the test is going to be. Can Ireland get their mall right? Can Will their scrum be rock solid? Um, and if they have a platform to play, I believe they can, you know, be relentless. And the idea against this French side is to try and get multiple phases and hope that you will get some gaps and holes in their defensive line. Easier said than done. If Ireland are beaten by France at the weekend, on your point, Ger, does that mean they're suddenly a bad side and this is the first real test? No, it doesn't because I think they've been incredibly consistent in those three games in November and showed great signs on Saturday as well at times. So it's always going to be a difficult game. France are on a high um, and I don't know if there's there's not going to be a lot in it. If you go back two years ago to the to the game that, well, it's, it's only a year and a half um, when that Six Nations was delayed to till October and Ireland lost 35-27. France came up with some really big kind of X-factor moments from individuals who who broke Ireland down. And that's what you do, you can't let happen on Saturday in, in Paris is you can't let some of their players just produce some individual brilliance and, and score these tries and kind of really take the sting out of, of, of Ireland's pressure and intensity that they want to bring. So, look, there's a lot of questions. Some people think they're the two best, well, they're certainly the two best teams in the Northern Hemisphere at the moment um, and it should be a cracker. It's a real test for Ireland. It'll be the last time Ireland play France away before potentially playing France away in the World Cup as well. Like, I, I, When you talk about the, the, the power game that France are going to bring to proceedings at the weekend, how will that impact Andy Farrell's team selection this week? Like we've, We had one commenter in earlier on saying that Ian Henderson should definitely be in the mix this weekend. Yeah, there's not a, like they're probably a full, full, fairly full bill of health. I suppose Bar Henderson and Henshaw, Keith Earls, but otherwise, you know, um, everyone's fit. If Henderson's available, I think he will come back onto the bench because he probably brings that bit of physicality, experience, um, and you're going to be coming up against Walkie and Willemsen, the second row, who are big physical players. I think Willemsen is the one that kind of does a lot of un- unseen damage in malls and 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 in, at the breakdown and with some of his carries. Um, James Ryan and Tyburn, you know, they'll have to be really on their game. And I think our front row, their physicality, and they're probably 
Um, Porter and, and and Furlong and Kelleher, you know, they're they're outstanding players, and I think they're they're playing really well at the moment. And their tackle reload and their their impact tackles on the opposition are are significant. So you've got to stop France a little bit on the gain line and 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 stop that power as much as you can. And I think probably again, all this is stuff is easier said than done, but just trying to be intelligent with your possession, where you play the game and and trying to hold on to the ball for, for long periods. Um, the idea would be to try and frustrate France. If you allow Dupont into Mac and you look at Villiers, the winger, if they get time and space, they can hurt any opposition. And when the crowd get behind France and Paris and they, they really believe again, um, they really believe that this is their year. So, um, it's about managing the tempo of the game as well for Ireland, and, and and that's going to be a challenge. But look, I think they're in really good shape on going over there. And Henderson, getting Henshaw maybe back in the bench as well um, would be a, a big call because he's a big game player and he's powerful, he's aggressive. And I, so I think Henshaw and, and, and Henderson, if they're fit and available, will come back in, in into that 23. Straight to the bench, but not the team? I don't think he. I don't think he goes near the team. Bundyaki was brilliant at the weekend. Um, not just in his carries. I think he he carried the ball eighteen times, but just with some of the touches, the passing. Um, he seems to be really kind of enjoying himself. He's not been used as a battering ram. Yeah. Um, and I think you know it'd be a very harsh call on him because I think you know, there's nothing between them anyway. Um, I would have picked Henshaw last week leading into the game because of the Henshaw ring rose access, but um, we're very lucky to have him. So I don't think they come into the team. Um, Henderson's been out for a while and, and do you kind of put him straight into the team to start? I think you saw last year in in, in, in Cardiff when Henshaw came off the bench, he, or when Henderson came off the bench, he came up with two big turnovers so he has that impact in him as well. So I wouldn't put him straight into the team, no. But who knows? Yeah, I, look, there were some uh, selection surprises when the team was named last week. But you would expect he's been consistent week to week generally um, where you get in, you don't get out unless you've done something really bad. or um, And even then, he's, he's backed people to try and find form when he's needed to, like James Lowe in the past. Who was your man of the match? Um, yeah, I was thinking about this at the weekend. I think Ty Byrne was 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 brilliant again. Obviously, he 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 dirtied his babe a little bit with the with the intercepts, but um, just the carries and and turnovers and little deft passes. He he was brilliant. Bundyaki was right up there as well. Furlong, um, I think Bundyaki. I just think his right. his contribution was brilliant. Um, it's it, you're splitting hairs with a couple of them. The back row, Doris, Van der Fleer, Conan were, were were excellent as well. Um, high performance right across the team, and, and a very dominant performance. So, um, I, I'd probably go Bundyaki. Uh, Matt Hansen obviously got it on TV on the during the, the live commentary of it all. I mean his kind of start to, to life in Harlan Jersey was, was pretty spectacular I mean it was those early yeah, moments offers, as well that that he um, offers a different dimension doesn't he it's uh, it's brilliant to have that and he's you know he played it at fly half in underage and uh, very comfortable being you know that footballing that footballer and being a second receiver and um, you know for the Aki try the way they kept going one way in towards the post and swept back around 
Um, he gives a different dimension to the attack to have someone who's really comfortable on the ball. And, you know, he had a brilliant performance as well. Um, really good footballer, intelligence in his decision making. Um, the time Porter turned the ball over and just the reaction for Ringrose try was that was sublime from 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 that Ireland side. And Hansen, the way he put pace onto the ball and his reaction was was superb. So he had a big game as well, and, and it's great to see for your first cap. He's only 24, he's 23 now, he's 24 next month as well. So, um, you know, a long future ahead of him and, and many caps to come to. Uh, they briefly talk about England. Um, so, it looks like the head coach is getting hammered for making a change with 10, 15 minutes left to go that uh, the Harlequins coach seems to think was premeditated. But, like, it's not really that unusual for you to take off your out half. Uh, to put on a very experienced out half to try and close out the game. So is Eddie Jones getting hammered here because he's Eddie Jones or is he getting hammered? Yeah. What's, what's going on? He's getting, he's getting hammered because he's Eddie Jones. I think um, bringing George Ford on wasn't the reason why England lost the game. I thought, I thought at the time it was, they were 17-10 up. It was a game with very tight margins. Um, scores were hard to come by and Ford coming on was, was, was the right idea at the time. Um, it's easy to go and blame, you know, the Marcus Smith coming off that they lost the game. I think what lost England the game was their inability to execute when they got into the Scottish half. They kicked the ball away too much and their discipline really let them down in that second half. I think Gatoja, who, you know, I was on commentary, um, he has so many big impacts in the game in stifling the opposition, um, turning them over, breaking up malls, being a nuisance at the breakdown. But he gave away three, four penalties in that second half on, on Saturday, really crucial ones. And I think that's what cost him, you know, the try, the, the crossfield kick from from the scrum from Finn Russell was outstanding. England were much too narrow in defence. You know, Van der Merwe gets it and then they come straight back across the field with a crossfield kick again. I'm just not sure how you you don't from a defensive point of view, not have a back rower or a winger on that side of the field that you're exposing your front row with. Will Stewart was on the field, the tight head, Joe Marler, and then Luke Cowan-Dickey. How you can allow your front row to be that exposed but to come back for a cross-field kick again. So they were naive and they had enough of possession to win the game. I don't think Marcus Smith coming off the field costing them the game. I think that's that's not the reason they lost the game. Scotland aren't bad anymore. Maybe that's one of the things that's going on here as well. No, they're, they're confident. Yeah, the, Scotland are confident and they believed going into the game. So I think, you know, Scotland, the biggest problem with Scotland over the years is probably their inconsistency and sometimes um, their power up front in that front five. And, you know, they did struggle at times in the game, but, you know, they come up with that brilliant Ben White try and that was from Darcy Graham, outstanding footwork and attack. Uh, in the first half, they didn't really have any sustainable period of pressure in that that, that England twenty-two, and they you know they come up with the first try of the game. Um, it's a different England team, Ger. Let's be honest. You know, there's no Bunapolas there. Uh, jo- Johnny Hill isn't at there. Courtney Laws, Launchbury. They get all those back. They'll get all. The, I mean, they like, will, you know, yes. and Tulagi and just played at the weekend as well. Team. Yeah, they can be a different team. Johnny May is a world-class winger. Um, and you know when you've Elliot Daly in the centre who's a winger full back he's not a centre 
Um, yeah, let's not worry about England. I think that's the my takeaway from this is like a lot of players got some extra game time. That next generation aren't good enough yet, just yet to be the Scotland team playing at the absolute limit of their powers in the big Calcutta Cup game uh, in Edinburgh. Like this is probably good for England in the long run. Possibly, um, it just depends whether Eddie Jones that pressure will rank up more on him because um, there's a certain um, probably group in the media who are, are picking and, 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 and trying to expose him a little bit um, he's some people divided opinion on him a lot of staff have moved on the last couple of years obviously the high of the World Cup getting to that final and the way England were playing they were you know on a real high but um, very poor Six Nations last year I, I don't know if he can afford another really poor Six Nations I know people will say it's a World Cup cycle and in Ireland we always peak at the wrong time. We hear that so much right up to the World Cup. Um, but I just don't know if if that pressure really mount if they have a really poor Six Nations again. And I just thought on Saturday, it would have kind of, it would have been a significant win for him with a lot of players injured and a lot of kind of new faces in his group and his squad. And he keeps talking about World Cups and maybe they're right. Um, but I just think the pressure will kind of mount a little bit more on him if, if they don't start getting results they go to Italy next week and I'm sure they'll win that game and, and yeah. then they've got Wales and Scotland yeah. or Wales and and, and Ireland um, so it depends it depends what happens in the next few weeks but I I think there is pressure on Eddie Jones now and some people were were displeased at that the tactics at the weekend but it's down to the players you know as I said Toje, what a wonderful player at times, but just give away some really poor penalties and let it easy for Scotland. Okay. We let you go. Alan, good stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers, lads. Thanks. Alan Quinn in there from the Red 78 podcast. You can get that uh, on the Rugby Channel on YouTube, or of course you can subscribe to the Red 78 podcast and there'll be a new episode uh, dropping in the next couple of days. Uh, right. Only 400 days till we lose a World Cup quarterfinal, says Andrew Sweeney on YouTube. I mean, the likelihood is that we will lose a World Cup quarterfinal because we'll be up against... France in France or the All Blacks that's what's going to happen so we will be underdogs for a World Cup quarter final no matter how well we play to get there and that's assuming that we beat Scotland who are looking pretty good at the moment yeah they also I mean, have their own World Cup troubles to a point as well well they play Ireland in the World Cup and we beat them yeah. without without like worrying about it even when we're playing really badly we still somehow manage to duff them up mm, yeah it's a bad draw uh, Porter was world class well done Leona says Fionn McCool uh, Porter was uh, absolutely amazing great win Leona up Cavan says Shane like a Cavan All-Ireland victory basically basically yep yeah. it's uh, it, 2020 was the year of the Cavan footballers 2021 was the year of Leona and I'd say 2022 probably is going to be Leona's year as well isn't it they're, they're going alright too uh, under the radar obviously in Division 4 Alan O'Neill says uh, fully expected Jared to have a parade this morning to celebrate the Wales loss no there's no point I mean the Postman doesn't celebrate delivering the post, does he? Yeah, you created great content for us this morning, Jerry. Thank you for that. Italy to beat Wales, says uh, MOC. Imagine if the Italians beat the Welsh. Yeah, it won't happen, but uh, will be that would be genuinely hilarious. Um, Italy a tad better yesterday than maybe people would have expected. Certainly close from the scoreline that a lot of people would have given them expectation for. Who is in bigger crisis, Dublin or Meath? Ooh, asks Shane. You'd have to say it's Meath or in bigger crisis than Dublin at the moment because Dublin have like loads of really top quality players to come back uh, there's who knows who knows what their training cycle is like Desi was talking about giving young players opportunities and games and that's I mean that's clear what's going to happen and then they have the Leinster Championship to get right 
as well like that's the point it's, it's actually two and a half three months before we see Dublin play a meaningful match yeah. that is going to have an impact on whether or not we view their season as successful or failure um, great to see Ireland play heads up rugby says Michael Davis MC says even the box at the end of a long season will beat Ireland in November uh, but you see them at the end of a very long season that was a very poor Welsh team Jur has not said anything that is false says Dave Coz it's true we'll see we'll see I mean uh, we, we hammered the Springboks a couple of years ago in November and then they hired Razzie and their entire uh, rugby culture got turned around so uh, it's very early for us to be talking about this Dublin will win 10 in a row and split the county to crisis and won't win one for five years have we ever seen such a quick flip by the media after one championship loss and two in the league I don't think uh, if anybody's saying Dublin are not going to win another for the next five years they're wrong that's just like that doesn't make any sense how can you look at the wealth of resources they have coming through there's a debate uh, I I uh, talk to some people who are big into their Dublin football and they don't think the quality of players coming through is anywhere near the same level as it was when they were winning seven in a row uh, six in a row magnificent seven six six it finishes six it's hard to tell it, it, you know they, they all kind of blended into one but they obviously had some of the, the best Gaelic footballers of all time in that it's just that there are going to be whatever style of play they want to do that is effective they're going to have enough high quality athletes you would think who've come through the system but maybe that's not the case maybe maybe Dublin didn't continue to build the way they should have done when they had the success and that next generation of players coming through haven't had the same care and attention that the previous generations had because everybody just assumed that it was going to continue but like that's that's on Dublin you know exactly. like oh, the, the, the question that it was like is entirely about what the GEA did to accelerate the growth in Dublin. You can see why the GA did it, but to do it, they had to be patently unfair when it came to funding and when it came to the f- uh, financial model that they used to, to, to fund coaches and, and, and to fund development of the game in the county. Again, they wanted a strong game in the capital and that's exactly what they got. They wanted participation and they got participation. And whether or not participation automatically uh, correlates to elite is mm-hmm. the question. It was up to the dubs to make sure that the elite level was being catered for while the participation numbers were growing you would say that it seems fairly obvious that the the wider your net the more likely you're going to get better athletes Um, and so there should be a a combination there but I I still think that like having a a population centre of over a million versus uh, Longford in the same championship is ludicrous it doesn't make any sense it's still unfair like Like, it absolutely is still unfair like I I don't like I mean and and they might even get better at harvesting good talent if you were to split it. Like he said, that there's been a flip from Dublin winning ten in a row to win one for five years, or like split the county to to crisis. Like I mean, I'm not sure those two things are are, are entirely divorced. Like no, a, a team can be in crisis, splitting. and you can still accept that the funding model is very unfair on other counties uh, within Leinster in particular. All right, we'll come back to that. Uh, we are definitely going to be doing performance rankings. Sorry, power rankings later on this week in both hurling and football so uh, I know a lot of you were looking forward to it today they just need time to settle Owen needs time to take on board all of the information his, his little birds need to come back to him with all the, the whispers of what's going on in the county oh yeah exactly exactly we're, um... if, you want, if you want to be one of those little birds all you have to do is slide into his DMs he loves that 9.42 this morning on OTBAM all you've got to do is uh, get in touch uh, you can leave a comment on YouTube or of course you can get us always 79180180 is the WhatsApp number um Right, let's hear some uh, Derek McGrath goodness tomorrow. We will have a new, we may have a new edition of the Football Power Rankings. There's more rugby, there's GA and there's football as well. OTB 
AM. With Gillette, put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. 